is so strong it smells like decent bacon. Kevin's getting footloose on the overspill, under the piss station. Two pints destroyer on the cobble floors. No amount of whatever is going to chirp the chip up. It's the final countdown by fucking journey. I woke up with shit in my sock outside the publish off license. They don't mind, said the arsehole to the legs. You gotta be cruel to be kind. Shit bank, save it up like Norbert Colon. Release the stench of shit grub like a giant toilet kraken. The lonely life that is touring. I got an armful of decent tunes, mate, but it's all so fucking boring. Alright, here we go. How are you guys doing this week? It is BK here. That's right. Saturday, March 19th, 2022. Coming at you guys from San Diego, California. Please follow me for breaking news throughout the week at Bravo Kilo Actual. And you can hit me up on Instagram at BK Actual as we get started here. Right about 10.06 in the morning. Getting a little bit early start. So why don't we get right into the news, guys, internationally. Let's go to Brazil to start with. Brazil has blocked the Popular Messaging Act Telegram. And this was, uh, yes, by the Supreme Court. And this just happened yesterday, Friday. And this is being interpreted as the Supreme Court wants to aggressively fight disinformation ahead of this year's presidential elections. So there's a Supreme Court judge named Alexandre de Mores. He said he was blocking Telegram because the app had not yet fully responded to previous orders to remove the accounts of a prominent supporter of President Jair Bolsonaro. That supporter is being investigated for spreading disinformation and threatening Supreme Court judges. So the Supreme Court judge ordered internet and cell phone providers cell service providers, I should say, to make Telegram unusable in the country and directed Apple and Google to remove the app from their app stores. He gave the companies five days to comply. Now, this Supreme Court justice has emerged as one of Bolsonaro's biggest political opponents. He's been overseeing a number of investigations and issuing court orders that target the president and Bolsonaro as he is wont to do, has struck back with sharp criticism of the judge. He even vowed, actually, at a major political rally last year that he would not comply with the judge's rulings. Now, authoritarian companies, countries like China, do regularly clamp down the Internet platforms, but blocking a huge app like Telegram across an entire country is highly unusual, writes the New York Times, in a democracy like Brazil's. But apparently the Supreme Court has some kind of bug up their ass about holding internet companies responsible for disinformation over concerns that they could influence October's presidential elections. Okay, before I even go into the rest of the story, there's it's impossible. What they're trying to do is impossible to stop, quote, disinformation, end quote, on the internet, basically. Just because you ban one app, what do you think? That's the end of it? It's, Im- it's impossible. That's like that's like telling people uh, we're going to stop people from talking. It's just not possible. And this is funny. Telegram's chief executive, a guy named Pavel Durov, uh, he said his company didn't always respond to the Brazilian Supreme Court because Telegram missed the court's emails. <laughs> so the judge said he sent the emails directly to Durov. Now, Telegram 
has become a popular app for spreading all kinds of stuff all over the world because it tends to remove less content on their app than other social networks. Uh, some examples of their competitors trying to comply with these demands for uh, cracking down on it, like WhatsApp, have made changes to limit the spread of misinformation. Like WhatsApp specifically limits the size of group chats and the number of times a message can be forwarded. But Telegram allows users to broadcast messages to thousands of people at once. So Telegram is the largely handoff approach. And it's popular with uh, you know right-wingers or far-left-wingers who complain that the more mainstream social networks censor their views. In Brazil, Bolsonaro actually urged his supporters to use Telegram instead of other social networks. And he has amassed nearly 1.1 million followers on the app. His top competitor in the 2020 presidential race, former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, has less than 50,000 followers. And it's popular in Brazil. Telegrams has made it one of the country's fastest-growing messenger apps. Since 2014, Telegram has been downloaded nearly 85 million times in Brazil. And 29% of those installations came just in the last year. Um, so all these governments are basically trying to figure out how to regulate the platforms. Like they're just they're they're just swimming against the tide. The United States has taken a mostly hands-off approach. That's true. Um, former President Donald J. Trump, recall, tried to ban the Chinese apps WeChat and TikTok over those national security concerns, but the Biden administration later reversed that policy. And, of course, famously, China and Russia have blocked apps like Facebook and Instagram. Now, you're like, okay, we'll just ban an app, right? You just take it out of the Apple and Google store. Well, that's not... Even the end of it, though, it's not that simple because just because you ban an app or remove it from those stores, millions of people can still access it from a web browser. You guys remember when uh, Trump was being sued by the Twitter users who demanded that they be allowed to comment on his personal page, and the justices held that up for some bizarre reason because it was his personal Twitter account, not the POTUS official White House account. And I made the argument that if you want to see, because they were there, the judge's argument in that case was, well, uh, these are statements from a world leader, so you have no right to block people. One, the people weren't just wanting to see his tweets; they wanted to comment on his tweets. And second of all, as I made uh, the argument, you can just open your internet browser and Google Donald J. Trump Twitter accounts, and you'll see his tweets in the browser. And I, so I, that that was a stupid argument to me. And I imagine the same thing is true with some of these other ones. Um, now, Brazil's approach is notable for how it seeks to force companies to provide the backbone of the internet to block Telegram's web traffic. The policy even covers people who try to use software to get around the ban by routing their web, tra web traffic through other countries, or a VPN. And the Supreme Court judge said anybody caught doing so would face a $20,000 fine. Uh, this is... <laughs> This is so nutty. Um, and there's a lot of uh, major content on Telegram. It's not just a few cranks spouting their QAnon or fucking weirdo far-left theories. It's There's plenty of misinformation, including coming out of Ukraine. 
And we'll have obviously more in Ukraine later. Um, so, yes. And then, as a matter of fact, I saw Bolsonaro actually, he either, it was a screenshot of a message he put on Telegram. And he was comparing his followers to De La Silva's followers, you know, the you know million or whatever, to the 50,000. He's like, this is the real reason they're banning it, which I thought was funny. If you didn't know Jair Bolsonaro, he's very uh, Trumpish. Uh, I remember he got stabbed too while on the campaign trail. Brazil, Brazil. I've never been to Brazil. Brazil sounds pretty wild, man. Uh, but that is what's going on on the social media wars, and they're going to continue to try to do this. And the social media companies will be like, "We're doing all we can," and there's really nothing they can do. I mean, think about how many tweets or telegrams or whatever they call them, or Facebook posts. How many millions of them are generated every day? And you have a few people. Trying to sift through all that. Yes, I know they have AI programs and all that looking for certain words, but that's not going to catch everything. So, in my opinion, banning something like that is futile, and you have to, as always, use your critical thinking skills to, when you see something on social media, and you guys have heard me yelling about this for years now, use your critical thinking skills and just say, like, could this be true? Because from my DMs, my inbox... A lot of you guys uncritically send me stuff uh, without doing even a basic due diligence. And I'm not just talking about election 2020 conspiracies or election 2016 conspiracies or January 6th conspiracies or anti-fuck conspiracies. I'm talking about the stories you guys know I'm going to look at so you get all excited. And I understand that. But literally dozens of you sent me the story about the guy who was found in his house with a rooster sticking out of his ass that was still clucking. Yeah, I know. I got it. I got it. I, it was so bad, I actually had to screenshot that and put it up on my Twitter account saying, you guys, it's fake news. It was, I think, I remember the news outlet was like the New Jersey Brief. You know, I'm always making jokes about like just if, it, if the name of the news outlet is something you never heard of, it's probably fake. Oh, and here's an idea. Also, you guys who sent me the chicken story, the guy, just Google the dude's name and chicken. And if nothing else comes up, obviously it's fake news because every outlet in the world is going to run the story of the guy with the chicken up his ass that the cops found. So come on. A little due diligence, you guys. I'm asking again. It's not the first time I've asked. Let's, let's do better. Okay, let's keep going. Let's go to, I don't think I've ever talked about this country ever. Let's go to Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan had an election. And the authorities said the son of the Central Asian country's leader won its presidential election after unusual vote counting delay. Mm, this again. Okay, I'm going to totally butcher this name. This would be 40-year-old Serdar Berdi Mukamadov. That is a lot of letters in that last name. Well, he was the favorite in the election to lead Turkmenistan. He and uh, they all thought that he would succeed his father, Gurbanguly. Now, Turkmenistan's interesting. If you didn't know anything about it and who the fuck does, it's a gas-rich country. It's pretty isolated. The country has long been difficult for outsiders to enter. Uh, as a matter of fact, they have not reported a single case of infection in the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> sure. Now, and, and, and also, no election in Turkmenistan has been considered genuinely competitive. Uh, of course, Turkmenistan was part of the Soviet Union after the 1991 collapse. It became 
independent. But uh, the Central Election Committee said that Serdar won 72.97% of the vote. Um, the Election Commission chairman told reporters that votes were still being counted, including those from people living abroad. And that was kind of the delay. Oh, you know, it's funny. His father, Serdar's father, he won re-election with more than 97% of the vote in 2017. Wow, he sounds popular. <laughs> He's 64, by the way. And the reason he announced the vote last month, he said the country should be run by younger people. Well, he's got that one, right? Look at what we got. He had been the country's leader since he was first appointed acting president after Saparmurat Niyazadov died in December of 2006. Uh, the elder president, I'm just going to go by the first names because it's, uh, it's, it's just it's a little bit much. Gerbangali. He enjoys somewhat of a cult of personality. He uses the title Archidog. That means protector. And he uh, liked showing his physical prowess on social media and other places. He, he had stunts. Apparently, I got to follow this guy. He has stunts including driving sports cars, target shooting, and ho hoisting a gold weightlifting bar to applause from his cabinet. That's what we need. We need feats of strength in the Oval Office. So, Serdar himself, the new guy, or is going to be the new guy, he has risen through a series of increasingly prominent government posts. He recently served as the country's deputy prime minister, answering directly to his father. And he just turned 40, which is the minimum age for president in Turkmenistan. They, as other countries have, Turkmenistan has been struggling to diversify their economy. They are overwhelmingly dependent on their natural gas reserves. Now, in light of all that's going on with Ukraine and Russia, he spoke to reporters after casting his ballot and Serdar uh, vowed to continue the country's neutral foreign policy if elected. So there you go. You guys know now more about Turkmenistan than 99% of the American population. Very con Congratulate yourselves. Just take a pat on the back for that. Let us go to Nigeria. In Nigeria, if you, if you didn't know, um, Nigeria is a huge oil-producing country. But more than 100 million barrels of crude were unaccounted for by Nigeria's state oil company in 2019. You believe this shit? The lawmakers discovered this while reviewing a report from the country's auditor general. And in the report, the officer of the auditor general for the federation accused the Nigerian National Petroleum Company Limited of failure to account for about 107.2 million barrels of crude oil lifted for domestic consumption in 2019. And not only that, they highlighted discrepancies in the amount of money that was returned to the government from that national oil company. They were saying that the treasury of Nigeria received only $1.4 billion U.S., even though the NNPC, the petroleum company, said they handed over $3 billion. Oh, that's hilarious. See, this is the problem with all these countries. They are so friggin' corrupt. 
that that's why they're all basket cases. There's no rule of law and there's no law and order. I've gone over that a hundred times. And that's why the people are miserable and everything goes to shit. And they have these riots in the streets and they have these coups and all that. It happens all over. And this is why. Um, activists and civil society leaders said the Auditor General's report was evidence of the endemic corruption in the extractive sector. So in other words, they're blaming the oil company, but you don't think that money ended up in the politicians' pockets? That's the whole reason for the corruption. Um, They, the activists, said that the amount missing was almost 25% of Nigeria's national budget of 2019 that's insane um so they want the national oil company's leadership probed for operation of what they call a criminal enterprise and it's not even the first time this happened in 2018 inspectors found that the national oil company failed to remit 16.8 billion dollars paid reportedly to it as dividends by the Nigeria Liquefied Natural Gas Limited to, to the national accounts. Uh, Nigeria is Africa's biggest oil producer, and they take out a daily average of 1.5 million barrels of crude oil. Um, by the way, that's underperforming because they have a maximum capacity to produce 2.5 million barrels a day. And if you guys have been listening, you know this part. The, Nigeria has been struggling to stem rampant oil theft. Nigeria loses about 150,000 barrels of oil per day to individuals who illegally tap pipelines crisscrossing the Niger Delta region. And uh, you guys have heard me do the stories throughout the years of leaking pipelines and people stealing gas out of pipelines. And then the the pipeline blows up because like somebody's smoking a cigarette near and a bunch of people die. That happens all the time. So no end in sight for the corruption. How about Cambodia? A Cambodian court has convicted 19 members of the country's main opposition party on charges of, quote, incitement and conspiracy, end quote. And this is coming from Prime Minister Hun Sen. He's pushing forward with a set of trials that critics condemn as the latest effort to eliminate the last vestiges of dissenting political voices in what is already a virtually one-party state. So this court handed down sentences of between five and ten years with the longer terms given to seven leaders of the political opposition who fled abroad to avoid arrest. And they had all been found guilty last year of what the authorities said was a plot to topple the government and sentenced to terms than tw- for 20 years. These trials have been going on for a year, and they've uh, snatched up about 100 people. Yeah, the prosecutors had accused those convicted of being part of what they call a secret network that sought to disrupt Cambodia's economy, encourage the military to disobey the government, and use the COVID-19 pandemic to undermine the government's credibility and provoke uprisings. Hmm. Um, yeah, so the, 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 how this went was... The party that they were going after was dissolved in November of 2017 by the Supreme Court, which is controlled by the ruling party, and that caused many activists to flee the country, and that started the beginning of a wider crackdown that paved the way for Hun Sen 
Cambodian People's Party to win all 125 parliamentary seats in a general election in July 2018. <laughs> all of them. They went 125 for 125. Uh, he, Sen, has also done a lot of other stuff. He, um, basically the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations and rights groups that used to be in Cambodia have all pretty much been crushed, dissipated, and Sen has also eliminated virtually all independent voices in the news media, most significantly by forcing the closing in 2017 of the Cambodia Daily. And that was a newspaper that had been seen as a symbol of the country's new openness and democratic possibilities when it launched in 1993. Yep. Another one bites the dust. Uh, let us go to some sad news and go to Norway. Four United States Marines have been killed in Norway during a NATO trading exercise, according to the Norwegian police. I saw the crash yesterday. Kind of hope for the best, but honestly, like a plane crashing into the water in the you know, it's it's not good. So the Marines have been taking part in a long planned exercise called Cold Response on Friday. And yes, they were flying an Osprey. This is the MV-22B Osprey tilt rotor aircraft. And they crashed south of Bodo in the northern county of Nordland, according to the Royal Norwegian Air Force. I'm sorry, I should back up. I thought that it was over the water, but I'm not seeing any of that yet, so I, I could be wrong on that. Let's get through the story a little bit more here. The Marines were reported missing Friday evening late last night after their Osprey did not land by 6 p.m. local time. The crew members were assigned to 11th Marine. I'm sorry, 2 Marine. Those are Roman numerals, not the number ones. They were assigned to 2 Marine Expeditionary Force. And it's really sad. The Joint Rescue Coordination Center in Norway began a search and rescue operation after the Osprey failed to return, and then later on, a crash site was spotted from the air south of Bodo. Okay, it does sound like it was on land. Poor weather conditions made it impossible for rescue services to reach the site from the air, but police and rescue crews eventually made their way into the area by foot and snowmobile. This must have been just up in the mountains. Uh, yeah, so this is a super bummer, and I know a lot of you guys have experienced the Osprey. It's kind of a scary aircraft uh, in the early beginning days. It was really bad. I remember they were dropping like flies, but they did seem to kind of like tighten up a little bit, but something happened, and we won't know what it was for a while. So rest in peace. How about Mexico? Yeah, right on our border. There was all kinds of shit going down in Mexico. It was crazy. Um, uh, an alleged drug lord's arrest caused violent clashes in Mexico. And this was right on the border. This was in Nuevo Laredo, a city on the Mexico-U.S. border. And I saw social media of it, and it's just like you hear this like running gun battle. And this is on the streets of fucking Texas, basically. So... The guy they captured, the drug lord, is Juan Gerardo Trevino. He's also known as El Juanjo, which means the egg. And he was captured at dawn by Mexican authorities. So now he has been deported to the United States because he is a U.S. citizen. So he's facing drug trafficking and money laundering charges. He's also being accused of murder, terrorism, extortion, criminal association, 
and etc., etc. The capture of him is considered one of the most important arrests of the last decade, according to the Mexican Secretary for Foreign Affairs. So, once he was arrested, which was just about a week ago, it caused a retaliatory gunfight by members of his cartel in Nuevo Laredo, which is situated opposite of Laredo, which is in Texas. So 700 military troops and four helicopters were needed just to secure the area. You could see, again, social media it showed large trucks on fire, roads blocked. Several international bridges between the United States and Mexico were closed due to the unrest. Uh, not to mention, Mexico's Secretary of National Defense said that 38 government facilities and 22 military headquarters were attacked. you believe this shit? This is right on our border. Oh, and not to mention, the U.S. consulate in the city also confirmed that they were damaged by gunfire. <laughs> God. Yeah, just about not even, doesn't even make the news. I mean, and you guys know by now, when I say make the news, I mean, this is, yes, that's that's a news article I read, but it's not on any of the major, major cable networks, and it's not round-the-clock coverage, like what the hell is going on, and none of that. It's a one-off story. I talked about Brazil a little while ago. Let me reference them again. Do you guys remember a few months ago when I talked about the couple, the married couple who worked for the U.S. who were arrested trying to sell nuclear secrets? And at the time, I said, I noted at the time, I was like, they do not name the country that they were trying to sell the nuke secrets to. Well, we now know it has come out. And it was, yes, Brazil. So quick refresher. In 2020, a United States naval engineers, naval engineer and his wife made the decision to try to sell some of the technology behind the nuclear reactors that power the U.S. submarine fleet. And so then they started looking around, well, who can we sell it to? And he appeared to have solicited several countries. But he thought that maybe Russia or China was morally too much to go. And this was according to text messages released in court because this is going on right now. Instead, Jonathan and Diana Toby, and I'm pronouncing it that way, it's T-O-E-B-B-E. They thought of a country that was rich enough to buy the secrets, not hostile to the United States, and most importantly, eager to acquire the very technology they were selling. So... Again, it was shielded by federal prosecutors up until now, but according to the New York Times, they talked to a senior Brazilian official and other people briefed on the investigation, and yes, Toby did approach Brazil with an offer of thousands of pages of classified documents about nuclear reactors that he had stolen from the United States Naval Yard in Washington over the course of several years. So, dumbass that he is, it backfired almost immediately. Because he sends the he sends a letter. Was this an actual letter? Did he mail this shit? It says a letter. But he sends a letter offering the secrets to Brazil's military intelligence agency in April 2020. Well, guess what they did? They immediately handed the letter over to the FBI legal attache in their country. And then in December of 2020, an FBI undercover agent posing as a Brazilian official uh, went up and started talking to him. And he told Toby to deposit documents in a location chosen by them. He agreed to provide documents and furthermore offered technical assistance to Brazil's nuclear submarine program. Yes, apparently they have one. 
And this is using classified information he had learned from years working for the U.S. Navy. Uh, remember, they were arrested back in October, and he is facing up to 17 and a half years in prison. She only faces three. Oh, here's more about Brazil's program. They have continued to struggle with its submarine nuclear reactor program and has actually approached Russia to seek a partnership on the nuclear reactor design. Uh, just a week before Russia invaded Ukraine, President Jair Bolsonaro even brought up that technology during a trip to Moscow. Uh, Bolsonaro has tried to maintain that positive relationship with President Vladimir Putin of Russia even as the Ukraine shit is going on. Remember, Bolsonaro is a former army captain, and he uh, a lot of people think he's hoping to keep the door open for a partnership on that technology. So, yeah, it, it, it was a strange choice for Toby. Um, you know, while Brazil and the U.S. aren't super tight militarily, this outreach came during some of the closest Brazil-U.S. relations in decades because that was when Bolsonaro and former President Donald Trump were kind of palling around. And, you know, Bolsonaro is another one of these, like, Trump-ish guys. The U.S. government initially did want to release the name of the country they had tried to sell secrets to, but Brazilian officials insist that their cooperation not be publicly disclosed, but they, it has been now. Uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of good stuff on the, this New York Times article about the text messages in question. So, but, it, you know, it limits, I mean, who are you going to sell this kind of stuff to? Because there's only a few countries that are not overtly hostile to the U.S. and could make use of the technology and the designs that he had to sell. And only a country able to build nuclear reactor and ready to invest billions in a nuclear submarine fleet would be willing to give him the hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency that Toby was seeking. Uh, Brazil, by the way, began working on developing nuclear submarines back in 1978. They were originally motivated by their rivalry with Argentina. In 2008, under the administration of the former president, same guy I talked about earlier, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, Brazil reinvested in effort to create a nuclear submarine to better patrol and protect its economic zone in the Atlantic Ocean, and they are aiming to launch their first nuclear-powered submarine in 2029. Brazil is also building four more traditional submarines with the help of France, but it has been attempting to develop a fifth, powered by a nuclear reactor, all on their own, and that's what they've been struggling with. Um, for you Navy guys out there, this would be the, the, the sub that they're looking to build is like sort of like a Virginia-class submarine. All right. Anything else good about this? Yeah. Oh, you know, this is funny. Toby was actually hesitant to deposit the classified information at a prearranged secret location. That's what they call a dead drop. When you stash something where you agree, okay, I'm going to stash it behind a third tree on Main Street. And then I'll leave it and then you go pick it up. That's a dead drop. Um, but he was reluctant to do that. He actually wrote, quote, I am concerned that using a dread, dead drop location your friend prepares makes me very vulnerable. For now, I must consider the possibility that you are not the person I hope you are, end quote. Uh, oh, and then, so, so he was cautious, but to trick him into believing he was speaking with a Brazilian official, 
the undercover agent told him to look for a signal placed in a window in a Brazilian government building in Washington over Memorial Day weekend last year. Obviously, to do that, you would have to have the cooperation of Brazilian officials in Washington. But they did it, and then after seeing the sign, he agreed to drop a sample of the nuclear secrets hidden in a peanut butter sandwich in West Virginia, and that kind of all culminated in the whole arrest. So there you go, guys. Update on that. Yeah, he's going to get... I think this dude is going to do all 17 years. Okay, a uh, little uh, something a little bit lighter. Let us go to the UK. How about this? A sex offender, God, who filmed himself raping a dog and sent the video to a friend on WhatsApp has been freed. 45-year-old Neil Gareth Bird also filmed himself having sex with a teenager, searched online for extreme porn, and downloaded indecent images of children, according to the York Crown Court. Uh, yeah, the main prosecutor said that once the guy had banged the dog, he sent the footage onto somebody new for some reason. I don't know, what is this? Look how cool I am. Oh, the defense lawyer, this is good. Bird sent the message during the course of an argument, and it was not intended to provide sexual gratification to him or the recipient. So wait, so the video and the message were not intended to provide sexual gratification, but banging the dog was very, very confusing. You got to love fucking defense lawyers. They'll just throw out anything and see how it goes. And apparently it worked. He pleaded guilty to two charges of possessing extreme pornography and four of having indecent images of children. Now, I don't know what they, because I'm reading a UK tabloid. I don't know what indecent image means. Does that mean like a young girl in like, you know, short shorts? Like, or is that actual child porn? I'm not sure, because I'm trying to figure out why they just let him walk out. But they did say he was found to have 38 extreme images and five indecent images. So there sounds like there's some legal difference there. And the video of the teenager, he said the prosecutor, the teenager and bird had met on an internet dating website and the boy had lied about his age. He had initially claimed he was 18 when he was younger and then later given his true age. The pair had met physically and had cons consensual sex. Bird was given a 20-month prison sentence suspended for two years on the condition that he completed 20 days of rehabilitative activities. Oh, what's that? What are those activities? Do you think there's a cure for a guy who's going to stick his dick in a dog? I don't think so. But I don't know, guys. Leave the dogs alone, please. Very high on the animal hierarchy. Let's go to India. <clears throat> Uh, big news over there. The, an Indian court has upheld the ban on hijabs in schools. That was a top court in the southern Indian state of Karnataka. And it's upheld a government order banning Muslim girls from wearing headscarves inside schools. And of course, with their big Hindu forces Muslim population, they think this is going to heighten tensions even more. And I've already seen like mass protests about this. The court said that wearing the hijab is not part of essential religious practices under Islam. 
And this comes at a time when members of India's minority community, the Muslims, are increasingly coming under attack as the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi has adopted what they call Hindu first policies. Now, religious freedom is protected under the country's constitution, but there has been a proliferation of religious-based hate crimes, particularly against members of that Muslim community. So the activists on both the Hindus and the Muslims have also been clashing at school campuses around Karnataka. So this latest dispute began last September at a college prep school for girls in... um, that area, and that's when teachers there banned several Muslim students from entering their classrooms while wearing hijabs. So, yeah, this never used to be a problem over there, but in the last couple of years, India has been dividing into these lines, and now they're going after it. So, the school's ban, when they did it at the time, before this legal decision had set off unrest and violence that spread to other schools in the state. It actually got so bad that the government had to close down schools for days. (laughs) When students defied the ban and wore the hijab, they were met at campus by scores of boys wearing saffron, which is the color most associated with Hinduism, and shouting slogans like, quote, Hail Lord Ram, end quote, Lord Ram is apparently a major Hindu god. So then several of the students filed a petition. Judges checked it out. Three girls heard arguments from lawyers to overturn the hijab ban, while the students' lawyers argued that it violated the girls' right to an education and their freedom of religion. But they said, like, well, this isn't really part of Islam. This is something that is more of a cultural thing, I guess. And so you don't need to do this, and so it's legal. Um, What else about this? Uh, Critics of Modi, by the way, say that he has increasingly taken steps to marginalize the country's 200 million Muslims. That's one of the largest Muslim populations in the world, by the way. And they're a minority, so it just goes to show you how huge India is. And right-wing Hindu monks, (laughs) that's right, that's a sentence, have made calls for other Hindus to arm themselves and kill Muslims. Recently, a prominent Muslim member of parliament survived an attempted assassination attempt while campaigning in the northern state of Uttar Pradesh. After the police arrested two people accusing, being accused of shooting at the lawmaker's vehicle, members of Modi's party visited the home of a suspect and actually declared him innocent. And this area, Karnataka, where the hijab, hijab thing is playing out, is controlled by... Modi's party. Uh, Boy, this is a long-ass article here. Uh, This isn't just the school. Apparently, some Muslim women wearing headscarves have been prevented from entering shops or have been chided on public transportation. Um, And they decided to close the schools, and police officers were seen patrolling the state, uh, the streets. So, very good. Again, no one. Maybe just, you know, maybe it's just, it's, it's it's it seems like it's becoming increasingly tough for diverse groups to live a song alongside one another. Now, speaking of India, they're also in the news about energy. What else? Everybody's talking about energy these days, and I have much more on that later. And I don't know if you guys saw, but on my Instagram account at BK Actual, I put up 
a gas station in my local neighborhood here in San Diego, and it was like $6.09 for regular unleaded. Now, true, it was a Shell station. I don't know if this is true in your states, but for some reason, Shell is noticeably higher in price than other gas stations, like like by like 30 cents a gallon. It's, it's really high. I'm not sure for the reason of that. I have noticed it, though, with Shell. So anyway, India... They have been in talks with Moscow about increasing oil air imports from Russia because they also have spiraling energy prices. So what's the first thing you do to combat rising prices? You increase supply. Something our stupid, dopey government hasn't figured out yet. So they are trying to preserve this relationship with Moscow. And remember, as I told you last week, remember that UN resolution condemning the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Yes, one of the countries abstaining from casting a vote on that was India. India depends on imports for about 80% of their oil needs. And 3% of that is coming from Russia. That amounts to about $1 billion. Um, So, India has played that balancing act. You know, they're trying to work with both Ukraine and Russia, but again, they abstain to condemn Russia. And they're a little wary of this too because they don't want to piss us off because we have placed a lot of these Russian entities under sanctions. So it's not a huge trade, but even India trying to put in this money, it won't make a big difference to the sanctions that Russia is facing because Russia is being hit bad by these sanctions. So their trade is about $9 billion a year between New Delhi and Moscow. So kind of a small amount in the grand scheme of things. Okay, what else do I have here? Let's go. Well, why don't we go right into the latest on Russia, Ukraine. Uh, Russia has targeted Western Ukraine now. They've been operating in East and like the Northeast and South. If you guys see it, it's almost like a reverse C around the country. But now they are going into Western Ukraine. Russian forces extended their bombardment into a relatively unscathed part of Western Ukraine. They hit a warplane repair plant. And that was about 50 miles from the Polish border. And that, by the way, came as President Joe Biden warned President Xi Jinping of China not to provide military aid to Russia. Nearly, They had nearly two-hour video call, did Biden and Xi, who is a close ally of President Vladimir Putin. And he said there would be, quote, implications and consequences if China provides material support to Russia as it conducts brutal attacks against Ukrainian sites, cities, and civilians, end quote. Now, when asked what kind of penalties they would impose on China if they went ahead and do it anyway, they did decline to say. They also declined to say how Mr. Xi responded to Biden's warning because this came out as a printout. It wasn't like carried live or anything. So Russian forces continue to sound pound uh, cities and towns across Ukraine and a Russian missile strike about four miles from the western city of Lviv destroyed several buildings that were being used to repair those aircraft. Um, That plant had been the only facility in the country that repaired MiG-29 fighter jets for Ukraine's Air Force. Um, 
Their mayor said that the work had already stopped at the plant and that no casualties had been reported. But then again, last Sunday also, you guys remember this, a Russian airstrike hit a military base 11 miles from the border of Poland. I mean, what if one of those missiles misses the mark? I mean, that's not very far for a big-ass missile and lands in Poland where a bunch of NATO forces are. Think of the shitstorm that will happen then. But those Russian territorial gains have been mostly in the south and east, including areas around that port city of Maripol. I told you guys about that last week a little bit. But they have also advanced from the southern city of Kherson, which they have captured, towards the center of Ukraine. And they're just carrying out total destruction of civilian infrastructure because this is, again, the, the, their military is like the fucking primitive, just defying all expectations of performance. And this, they're going back to what they do best. Remember, they did this in Grozny. They did this in you know the, the whole country of Chechnya, pretty much. They did this in Georgia. They just start pounding away and going block by block until everybody leaves, and then they take over the rubble. That's their M.O. And then also, it's just a side note. Boy, have we witnessed, is this the end of armor, armored vehicles being useful? Are we seeing the end of that? Or are they just so uncommon? Because I'm like wondering, like, okay, would you, which would you rather have right now if you've seen all the footage? Would you rather have 50 tanks or would you ha rather have 50 five-man squads all carrying like five javelins? Which one of those would you rather have right now? Now, normally a tank column should have, again, ISR, intelligence reconnaissance, um, uh, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance. They'd have ISR drones up. They would have uh, they would have infantry with them to counteract those troops carrying javelin. They'd have artillery back. They'd have all that stuff, but they're not doing. This is like basic fucking warfare. But they haven't been doing that. They've just been sending these columns of tanks around and these small teams of guys hiding in the woods with the javelins just blow the shit out of them before they even see them. So, and we're sending a lot more. But now. Because of those losses, because the dopes in Russia didn't take that into account, they're going back to like, well, we're just going to flatten entire city blocks till everybody either leaves or is dead, and then that's ours. So congratulations for your rubble. Uh, Maripol, remember, they destroyed a movie theater that had been, uh, a bunch of people had been taking shelter in. Officials reported that at least 130 people had been rescued from the rubble of that theater, but perhaps as many as 1,300 are still missing. That was the drama theater, and that has become a symbol of Moscow's willingness to indiscriminately target civilians. Satellite images showed that the word children had been written in large white letters in Russian in front of the building and behind it, and uh, they didn't care. So... What else? Oh, Putin had that big, uh, big speech. You see that he made his first public appearance. He had like a propaganda fucking rally. Yeah, he addressed tens of thousands of cheering, flag-waving Russians at Moscow's largest stadium. Now, officially, it wasn't about the invasion. The speech. It was. Uh, he was marking the eighth anniversary of Russia's annexation of Crimea. But then. He turned it into a theatrical display of support for the invasion of Ukraine, telling the crowd that Russians, quote, have not had such unity for a long time, end quote. That was the Luzhniki Stadium, and it was covered with posters that read, for example, quote, 
for a world without Nazism, end quote. And this is like that uh, gibberish he keeps yelling about. The Kremlin keeps stating their reason for the invasion is to denazify Ukraine. Yes, and I know, spare me the fucking messages. I know they've had, you know, white nationalists, neo-Nazi fucking battalions here and there, but it's not. The, you, for him, to, what, what Putin is picturing or trying to impart is this vision of everybody in Ukraine is a fucking neo-Nazi. And if there's one thing the people of Russia doesn't like, it's Nazis. Um, so along with this is a lot easier if you crack down on dissent the way Putin has because he basically criminalized public opposition. More than 14,900 people have been, de- been detained at anti-war rallies. It's hard to say how many are dead still. We won't know for a long time. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians, though, we do know, have lost access to food. Uh, at least 726 civilians have been killed, according to the UN. More than 3.2 million people have left the country. Uh, they claim the Ukrainian food supply chain is falling apart amid the Russian invasion, and that will have many ripples outward. Remember, Russia and Ukraine account for nearly 30% of the world's wheat trade. Yeah, I'm just going down here. Um, one of the demands, by the way, because you know Russia and Ukraine have been sort of talking a little bit in these negotiations, but they don't seem to be going anywhere. Zelensky has seemed in recent days to signal that his country will not join NATO. That would satisfy a key Russian demand. But Ukraine says that any form of neutrality must come with security guarantees against further Russia aggression. Moscow has also demanded that Ukraine accept the loss of Crimea and accept that entire regions of Donetsk and Luhansk and not just the areas now occupied by Russian-backed separatists, become independent republics. Uh, As far as uh, just a few quick hits here about various stories, a Russian rocket attack on a Ukrainian military barracks in Mykolaiv in southern Ukraine has killed more than 40 soldiers. At the city morgue, dozens of bodies of soldiers in uniform are laid out side by side. Uh, What else? Zelensky warns... Russia, that its army will suffer generational losses if the war continues. Yeah, that's kind of a hard thing to get a grasp on, is how many Russians have died in this. Uh, Russia, you know, Russia claims, uh, we don't really know. Russia has only acknowledged like, you know, six, seven hundred or something like that. And then the Ukrainians are claiming they've killed like 15, 20,000. Um, what? Oh, yeah, here we go. So when Zelensky talked, He talked about the Russian soldiers killed in the war. The Ukrainian army estimates that 14,000 Russian soldiers have died. The Pentagon says that the figure is probably about half that, but still, even if it's 7,000, this is like three weeks old. That's unheard of. So, what else? Uh, Philippines president um, Rodrigo Duterte has accused Russian forces of wreaking havoc in Ukraine, but he does say his country plan to remain neutral on the war. He also has a friendship with President Putin of Russia. The worldwide spike in food and energy prices spurred by the war could push an additional 40 million people around the globe into extreme poverty. Um, what else here? In his call with Biden, by the way, 
Apparently, China's leader, Xi Jinping, expressed grave concerns about another conflict, not the one in Ukraine, but the tensions between Washington and Beijing over Taiwan. Yeah, so he, he's not happy about that one. In a statement issued on Saturday, she warned that Mr. Biden that, quote, some people in the United States had sent the wrong signal, end quote, by supporting independence for Taiwan. It's unclear if you meant officials in the Biden administration, members of Congress, or both. But you can kind of see how China is viewing this war in Ukraine through the lens of its own conflict with Taiwan. Taiwan, of course, has remained outside the political control of Beijing since the founding of the People's Republic of China in 1949. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, apparently she used a metaphor. Or as the New York Times writes, an aphorism. In his statement... Or his phone call with Biden. He he said, quote, he who ties the bell to the tiger must take it off, end quote. Ah, that's a good one. Meaning, he basically is saying that those responsible for a problem must be the ones to resolve those problems. And that suggests also that other officials, including himself, think that the U.S. bears some of the blame for this conflict. So... Yes. Okay. So that is the latest updates. Let's go to a few Ukrainian, uh, just the interesting stories about it. You know, we uh, updated a, uh, we, we had an aid package. We're sending more lethal weaponry to Ukraine. And now we're getting into the nitty gritty here because we're announcing $800 million in new military aid for Ukraine. That, in, that includes 800 additional Stinger anti-aircraft missiles 9,000 anti-tank weapons, such as the Javelin, and 100 tactical drones, and a range of small arms as well. And a lot of these weapons are easily portable and require little training to use against Russian tanks, armored vehicles, and aircraft. Uh, Basically, like I kind of was just alluding to, U.S. and European officials want to send more equipment that is easy to use by small teams. And that would include those small teams of javelin throwers. And the equipment also must have technology that can overcome Russian defenses or exploit weaknesses. So they'd rather do these small weapons than huge weapons like tanks and warplanes because those require tons and tons of support. It's a lot easier to send a shitload of javelins and drones. So what's some of the items that they use. Well, one of the ones was the kamikaze drone. Yeah. That's what military officials call the switchblade drone. It's carried in a backpack and it can be flown directly at a tank or a group of troops and is destroyed when it hits the target and explodes. They were designed, the drones, for U.S. Special Operations Command and those can have an immediate impact on the battlefield. Now, we have our bigger, more famous armed drones like the Predator or Reaper, but that would be a little bit harder for Ukrainians to fly, and also Russian fighter planes could easily shoot them down. But these small, tiny little kamikaze drones, that's a whole separate thing. Remember, Ukraine had asked for additional MiG fighter planes. Apparently, they've kind of backed off that request. And... American and European officials, I was wondering about this last week, like how many pilots they have. Well, according to American and European officials, they said Ukraine's military is not flying all the planes it has now. So it's possible that they have a pilot shortage as well. 
Anything else here? Zelensky asked specifically for an what they what it's it's an S three hundred. That's a Russian made air defense system. So the U.S. could ask other nations to provide that. And a little bit more about the American Javelin and the British equipment, the Enlaw, and I have I have more on the Enlaw in a second. Those just take hours to learn how to use. And they've been just crushing Russian tanks left and right. So you, the the problem with the only problem with the javelins, you kind of do got to get up there a little bit. I mean, they're they're effective pretty far out, but it's for a soldier on foot against a column of tanks, it's considered um, getting close. Now, like I just mentioned the N law. Well, this has become very popular in Ukraine, and these are British-made weapons. They are called next-generation light anti-tank weapons. The N-Law, in like 15 seconds or faster, can be unslung, have its aiming sight unfolded, have a safety catch released, and then you're ready to fire. So that is really, really quick. The N-Law weighs about half as much as a Javelin. It costs way less than a Javelin. It can be easily discarded and is optimized for use in the relatively short-range fights Ukrainian soldiers are getting into. Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. What's new? The Enlaw is actually a product of the Swedish company Saab. Yeah, that's right, the old car maker. So they were making shitty cars, and they're making awesome weapons. It has been sold to a number of NATO countries. That's, what, that's where my mistake is, because Britain has a lot of Enlaws, and they in turn gave their Enlaws to Ukraine. But uh, Britain has the Enlaw. They also assemble those missiles, does Britain, at a factory in Belfast, Northern Ireland, for the British Army. So the British Army, by the way, also has the Javelin, but they been they began purchasing the N-Laws about 10 years ago. A spokesman said that Britain has sent more than 4,200 N-Laws in Ukraine. Wow. Uh, the Javelin and N-Law can both be carried by an individual soldier and they include features previously only seen in much larger and more cumbersome weapons the kinds that usually have to be mounted on vehicles uh the you guys know they can be fired indirectly or directly you can they can be programmed to hit from above or if they're under shelter you can just do like a direct shot at it because usually they are the preference is to hit the vehicle from above because a tanker armored personnel carrier has the least armor up top so that's cool. Oh, here's the difference in that explosive. So you've, you guys have all seen the javelin videos when they're, when they're firing it for the indirect method. So it kind of pops out, it goes up in the air, and then it comes down. The British one's a little bit different. It crosses over the target, and it fires its charge downward. So that's, that's wild. I didn't know anything about the N-Law before this Ukraine thing happened. But they've crushed a shitload of tanks uh, the Russian military had said, and the Pentagon leadership had believed, that a defensive system on the newest Russian T-90 tanks was actually capable of sensing and destroying anti-tank missiles like Javelins and Enlaws in flight. But that hasn't worked, if it even was ever a thing. And as far as a homemade solution, Russian troops are welding improvised cages of parallel steel bars atop the turrets, 
That hasn't worked either. Remember, we were doing that with our troop carriers in Iraq as well. Uh, yeah, very cool. The Javelin, just a re-up, um, that can kill tanks from as far away as two and a half miles. The Javelin missile does fly slower than the N-Law, and the N-Law is most accurate for targets up to only about a half a mile away. For moving targets, the Javelin can guide itself while in flight because they have a heat seeker in the missile's nose, whereas a soldier firing an N-Law simply points the weapon at a moving vehicle, engages the guidance system, and tracks the target for a few seconds before firing. And then the missile flies to a point where it predicts the target will be. <laughs> Oh, man. So basically the Javelin, they think, is uh, better at distance, but the N-Law is better for close-quarter battles and ambush scenarios. Very cool. I know that's a lot on the N-Law, but it's a fascinating topic. But what else? Uh, th this article came out uh, in the last couple days. They had an exclusive story about the secret CIA training program in Ukraine that actually helped Kiev prepare for Russian invasion. And this was kind of after... 2014, when Russia had already invaded and annexed Ukraine's Crimea Peninsula. So then, after they did that, pro-Russia separatists in the eastern Donbass region began that war against Kiev, and Russian troops entered. But then, so quietly, as everybody assumed, including me, did the CIA. So as those battle lines were hardening up over there, veteran CIA paramilitary guys made their first trips to the front lines to meet with Ukrainian counterparts there, and Clearly, there's still CIA guys in the country. Everybody knows that. But they have been there for a long time. And this has now led to the existence of a supposedly now closed covert CIA training program run from Ukraine's eastern front lines. And this initiative, uh, this was an exclusive at Yahoo News. And the initiative, this was picked up by many, many different outlets as well. The program was run under previous existing authorities for the CIA and did not require a new legal determination for the agency. This is known as a covert action finding. So as part of this Ukraine-based training program, CIA paramilitaries taught their Ukrainian counterparts sniper techniques, how to operate those javelins and other equipment, how to evade digital tracking the Russians used to pinpoint the location of Ukrainian troops, how to use covert comms tools, and how to remain undetected in the war zone, along with basic small unit tactics and, what, and stuff like that. And then the U.S. military also helped run a long-standing publicly acknowledged training program for Ukrainian troops in the country's western region. That was far away from the front lines. And that, too, included javelin training, sniper training, infantry training, etc., etc. Now, U.S. officials had previously denied that the CIA training program was ever offensively or, uh, oriented, but now we know that's not true. So, this is a, a long article, and I'm just going to pick out just something really quick. Basically, when they first got there, the CIA, in the aftermath of Russia's initial 2014 invasion, they were first ordered to determine how the agency could best help train Ukrainian special operations personnel fight the military forces. But the second part of the mission was to test out the Ukrainians themselves. Because remember, the Ukrainian army used to just be like 6,000 people like eight years ago. So the CIA's second part of the mission was like, okay, what kind of people are we dealing with? Do they have any backbone? Are they going to fight back? So they did a lot of stuff. Irregular warfare 
operational planning and to see if they can handle it. Um, yeah, so the, all these guys were very, uh, very veteran, um, obviously former United States special operators and uh, then turned CIA. They work for the CIA Specials Activity Center. You guys have all heard of this shit. So it was funny because after they, they did note this in the article, and this is something that I've been railing for a while, they did note that when the CIA got there, they were fucking in culture shock because you're talking about an agency that for by then for 14 years, if not longer, had been solely focused, not solely, but hugely focused on the Middle East, insurgencies, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, all that shit. They were not used to drones and cell towers and um, all the other shit that was used to triangulate the phones and electronic devices of the Ukrainians and the CIA guys. So they, they got there, and Ukrainian soldiers are calling. They're, they're texting using their phones in a trench, and that's when the fucking Russians would target the signal and blow the shit out of them with all t- artillery. So they had to make quick adjustments. So anyway, very good article. If you guys want to use it, it's by uh, Zach Dorfman, and you can Google, quote, secret CIA training program in Ukraine helped Kiev prepare for Russian invasion, end quote. Do I have anything else? On oh well let's uh, yeah other, other stories remember I talked to you about the the basketball player Brittany Griner who had been detained in Russia yeah she's still there a Russian court has extended the detention of the WNBA star Brittany Griner to May nineteenth she's thirty one huge star in WNBA she's being held on drug charges that could carry a sentence of up to ten years in prison remember that. She was in Russia because she had played basketball for like a professional team there. And she was detained because the customs found vape cartridges containing hashish oil in her luggage. And she has played for the Russian team UMMC Ekaterinburg since 2014. So they're still working to get her out of there. The State Department has advised all U.S. citizens in Russia to leave the country. So if you are still there, you're very dumb. Uh, and then lastly, quickly, before we start the audio clips, Zelensky, president of Ukraine, addressed Congress. I don't know if you guys saw I didn't watch. But uh, he uh, basically invoked uh, all kinds of things to tell Congress that they need to get more involved. He even said it's been Ukraine's 9-11 every day for three weeks. And then he played a video of the Russian invasion, I guess was very graphic. And uh, dead children and bodies were being put in mass graves in this video, all kinds of shit. So this was a speech to Congress on Wednesday morning. I'm going to play a minute of it in a second. And that's when Biden afterwards announced a $800 million military assistance package. Uh, Biden also, by the way, called President Vladimir Putin a war criminal. And I, I saw there's there's audio of it, but it's not very good, so I'm just going to not play it. But yeah, he did invoke MLK by saying, quote, I have a dream. I have a need. I need to protect our sky, end quote. And that came along the video. So basically, we still wants the no-fly zone. And we have not done that yet. So, let us begin our audio clips there, then. Is this in... Is, here's where he's invoking MLK. Is this in English? I haven't even checked it. Uh, 
Oh, I'll play the English translation. This is a terror that Europe has not seen, has not seen for 80 years, and we are asking for a reply, for an answer uh, to this uh, terror from the whole world. Is this a lot to ask for, to create a no-fly zone, zone over Ukraine to save people? Is this too much to ask? Humanitarian no-fly zone, something that Ukraine, uh, that Russia would not be able to terrorize our free cities. If this is too much to ask, we offer an alternative. You know what kind of defense systems we need, S-300 and other similar systems. You know how much depends on the battlefield, on the ability to use aircraft, powerful, strong aircraft. Uh, aviation to protect our people, our freedom, our land, aircraft that can help Ukraine, help Europe. And you know that they exist and you have them, but they are on earth, not in Ukraine, in the Ukrainian sky. They do not defend our people. I have a dream. These words are known to each of you today. I can say, I have a need. I need to protect uh, our sky. Okay, I'll just stop him there. Well, we're probably not going to do that. So, Now, continuing the audio clips, let's start with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she was at some stupid fucking lunch for St. Patrick's Day or something like that. So she decided to talk and babble about uh, Ukraine, let's listen to Pelosi here. So I think I, I thought he was completely appropriate in saying this is what this is the impact we need. If it's not going to be affected by what I'm asking for, then this is another way we can get that done. And that's what people are looking into. Uh, it, what you saw yesterday was history later at the lunch. Just maybe you might want to watch. I'm going to be reading a, a poem written by Bono about Ukraine, which you might find interesting. Okay, and that kind of caused everybody to like say, stand up and say, wait, wait, what? You're going to read a poem by Mama? And I do have the poem. Obviously, she's not as skilled in poetry reading as BK. Everybody knows that. But she did read a... This is very weird. It's like a juxtaposition between St. Patrick's Day, Ireland, and then relating that to Ukraine. So I'm going to play the clip and hear how this uh, kind of sounds like. I, want to, I got this message this morning from Bono. And, and most of us, we're always, whether we're in Ireland or here, whatever it is, Bono has been a very Irish part of our lives. Nobody's listening. They're all eating. He said this. Here we go. He said, oh, St. Patrick, he drove out the snakes with his prayers but that's not all it, that's not all it takes. Oh, get a better the reader. The smoke symbolizes an evil that arises and hides in your heart as it breaks. And the evil from risen from friends, from the darkness that lives in some men. They but fixed in the mic, that wasn't fear, me. That's when saints can appear to drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine, and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. Oh, God. Everybody's <laughs> clapping. Oh, we're like laughing and clapping. Oh, and then she introduced Riverdance, which I thought was funny. That's funny. That, so that's, that, was C, that was a C-SPAN feed, 
And I think they fixed the audio halfway through because it was really embarrassing, like listening to everybody talk and fucking eat and plates clinking while Pelosi's like up there babbling about fucking St. Patrick's Day in Ukraine and nobody was paying attention to her. I didn't know it was going to do that, by the way. Now, I did want to get into this. A lot of you guys are talking about this, and it's the Americans in Ukraine. Now, there's been a couple videos that have been floating around. I'm going to play both of them. And one of them was a guy saying, basically, this is the worst experience of my life. The Ukraine guys were like taking us fucking prisoner, basically. We had to escape on foot, all this shit like that. So one of the guys talking is a guy named Henry Hoft. He's a former infantryman in the U.S. Army. And I'm going to play. He's the guy I'm going to play first. He's 28 years old. Um, by the way, all you have to do to to join the International Legion of Territorial Defense of Ukraine, that's Zelensky's new foreign fighter thing, all you have to do is submit a passport copy and proof of military experience. So, Hoff turned his materials into the Embassy of Ukraine in Washington, D.C., and he booked a flight to Poland that same day. Well, after this video came out, it was pretty funny, the media started digging into him. He has identified himself as a member of the Boogaloo Boys. Yes. You guys remember them? The far-right extremist group. It's all those guys who are wearing, like, kit and fucking Hawaiian shirts and, like, carrying around, like, fucking ARs at the gun protest, those people. Uh, he said he distanced himself from the group after it, quote, got all crazy, end quote. So uh, he put out the following video, which I'm not going to play. And he's claiming this was his experience. So let's hear from him. So for any people who are wondering what is going on, all right, we were part of the Georgian National Legion, the 102nd Ukrainian Territorial Defense. Okay. Our base got fucked up. The base right next to us got fucked up. Americans, British, tons of British dead. Right? They're not saying nothing. They're counting our dead as their dead. They're trying to send us to Kiev with no fucking weapons, no kit, no fucking plates. The people who are lucky enough to get weapons are only getting magazines with like ten fucking rounds. Okay. That's his when audio, by the way. Not mine. To Kiev, we said no. Our whole group, a bunch of Americans, Canadians, British. So they told us we had to get the fuck out or they were going to shoot us in the back, all right? So me, this British guy, and another American, we fucking hid in the back of an ambulance to get out. We we got to the border, and it, it was a whole nother mess. When you get to the border, anyone who has kit, anyone who has any military shit, they're fucking pulling you out of the line, and they're sending you back to the front. This human, we got dropped off about five clicks from the fucking... Uh, from the border and we walked um and we get to the border in this humanitarian group with a bunch of ex-SF veterans from England uh pull us to the side and say you need to get like pulled us out and fucking like hit us and they were like you need to dump all your kit they're pulling people out cutting up passports sending them back so we dumped our shit we got like in all of our fucking we got in like red cross vests and they had like fucking humanitarian passes to get us through the ukrainian border people need to stop coming here it's a trap and they're not letting you fucking leave the best way to leave is like in a vic or a car or something 
people who get on by vehicle have a better chance of hiding their fucking kit in the back, doing whatever the fuck they can, but do not try to leave Ukraine on foot if you're a volunteer. It's a mess. And it's, it, it's a trap. And I have multiple people who can confirm this story for me. I'm getting... Okay, so that was it. And, and um, guys, the uh, the gaps and the noise was like his... I don't know if he's making multiple videos or what. Now, that's one story. I have another story by another guy who made a video. And he said um, there's a, you know, recent viral... He said the recent viral video about the American volunteers getting their passports cut up is false. And that they were fail they were kicked out of the unit for failing the vetting process. Um, there's actually two clips. This, I'm only going to play the first one, but here's another American making a Hello, clip. Hello, Harrison Jusupowitz here, uh, Georgian Legion here. What we can say is whatever may or may not be circling right now from Henry Locke, it is completely false. No threat ever was made by the Georgian Legions as us, as a humanitarian organization working directly with the Georgian Legion, was ever threatened. No Georgian Legion ever threatened us with a rifle or anything of that nature. The leader of the Georgian Legion, Mamuka, I had a conversation with him. I, I expressed my concerns for my humanitarian organization that the military base that we were using, that they offered to us, was not the best place to have a humanitarian non-combat element. Now, yes, there is a part of my organization that we can get into contact with direct action groups if that's what they want to do. So with that being said, we came to the agreement that it was best for both of us that if for us to move off the Georgian Legion military base. With that being said, we still have a very, very professional relationship with the Georgian Legion. We have plenty of shipments of everything that they've ever needed coming in. I can't give specifics for OPSEC, but yes, we do have, we're, we're still giving them loads and loads of gear, armor, medical supplies, everything. The only slightly bit of truth to it was a Georgian Legion contract of three months, and that was it. It's, it's no big deal, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it really makes things look bad here because we have a vetting process and himself, Henry Locke, and another individual, they did not pass our vetting process. And this is in direct retaliation to them being rejected through our vetting process. And that is exactly why we have a vetting process to stop this or those kind of mindset people from, from getting here. Okay, I'll stop it there. And, uh, you know, I, I had another article about that I, I don't have it in front of me but basically it's it, there's all all these fucking lost souls are going over there like one guy was i it was like working at a taco bell another guy was like working at walmart and you're like dude these are just not personally it's just not the kind of guy i would want to get involved with in a fucking major war and it's not like i said like i said a long time ago this isn't like the taliban or Al-Qaeda with IEDs and machine gun fire and RPGs. This is a nation state with armored vehicles and fucking ultra hypersonic missiles and precision fucking weaponry coming down on your head. So if any of you guys are thinking about going over there, I would strongly tell you to not do so. But that's just my advice to you. Okay. That is all for Ukraine. And I'm just it's probably just going to fade out. Okay, what else? Well, let's uh, do something more fun now.
The Let's go to Hunter Biden. This is all over the right-wing media. Yes, I enjoyed it too because I hate the media hypocrisy. But yes, the New York Times did confirm the existence of those famous emails. And this had to do with a comprehensive report about the original, the ongoing federal probe into Bi- Hunter Biden's tax filings. If you would like to read the actual New York Times article about this, you can Google, quote, Hunter Biden paid tax bill, but broad federal investigation continues. And they had three authors on that one. I might come back to that one in a second, but I just want to read the summary because that's a very long article. Now, remember, this comes on the this comes on the heels of October 2020. That's in the New York Post reported on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop that he ditched at a Delaware repair shop in April of 2019. The laptop's hard drive contained a trove of emails, text messages, photos, and financial documents between Hunter Biden, his family, and business associates detailing how the president's son used his political leverage in his overseas business dealings. So the repair shop owner apparently reported the laptop to the FBI, which took the device and its hard drive. So as part of their investigation of Hunter Biden's taxes, federal prosecutors have looked into emails between Hunter and his former business associates that were recovered, uh, including... Correspondence between Hunter Biden and Devon Archer, who had served with him on the board of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. So they um, now, according to the Times, and this is a quote, the emails between Hunter Biden, Archer and others regarding this activity came from files the publication obtained that, quote, appear to have come from a laptop abandoned by Biden in a Delaware repair shop, end quote. And then people familiar with the emails and investigation confirmed those emails' authenticity to the New York Times. So, this, now I saw the resistance immediately went into, well, you could plant emails on a laptop or something like that. But the, the main thing isn't Hunter Biden, who I could really care about, or his corruption, which is obviously huge. What I fucking thought was hilarious was the massive hysteria. Remember, Twitter suspended the New York Post for tweeting out that original story about the laptop. They kicked them off of Twitter. And the New York Post is a major media outlet. And then the resistance got involved full swing because this came out like kind of right before the election. And then more than 50 former senior intelligence officials actually wrote a letter. And they said that they believed that all these emails quote, had all the classic earmarks of a Russian disinformation operation, end quote. You believe these fucking idiots? And none of the, these intel, former senior intelligence officials, all they were was resist dudes and activists now. Whatever they were 20 years ago, they're far from that now. And yes, they, uh, they, they, they John Brennan, former CIA director, was one of them. Um, there's too many, any ones you guys would maybe heard of. Oh, here, Mark Polymeropoulos. I see him on Twitter. He's a retired CIA senior operations official. He signed the letter. Uh, Leon Panetta, former CIA director. General Michael Hayden, former CIA director. Mike Morell, former CIA director. Also signed the letter, as well as many other ones did. And the New York Times criticized the post in the reporting process. And now... Those guys are refusing to apologize, even with this new New York Times um, story. 
Oh, James Clapper, professional liar. James Clapper, remember when he perjured himself in front of Congress? He's also signed the letter. Um, so that letter was written in October 19th, 2020. That was five days after the, po- the Post published the original story. And yeah, they just fucking went out and did it. And then Twitter, like I said, banned the New York Post a, a few days before. Twitter's rationale for banning the New York Post was that you're not sub- if you get hacked material, you can't post it on Twitter. That's their policy. But the, the hacked material was not hacked. And they demanded that uh, they said they wouldn't share the story until it was like fact checked. So they, the post had a lot of fun with this. They ran back to all the guys who signed the letter and they decided to ask them for an apology. Um, and they just, they, they give, they give a few examples like Mike Hayden, now a CNN analyst, by the way, he didn't respond Jim Clapper, now CNN analyst said, quote, yes, I stand by the statement made at the time. <laughs> Leon Panetta declined comment. John Brennan didn't respond. Thomas Finger didn't respond. John McLaughlin didn't respond. Mike Morrell didn't respond. Um, yeah, where did that fucking dork on the one Markopoulos? Oh yeah, he didn't respond either. Yeah, basically none of them responded to any of them. Like how how wrong they were, but they got lots of likes on Twitter for it, and that's what the important thing is. Uh, so. Just quickly about the the investigation and how the Times confirmed this. This was um, a year after that Hunter Biden disclosed a federal investigation into his tax affairs in late 2020. So after, I'm sorry, one year after he even disclosed the federal investigation, Biden's son paid off a like $1 million tax liability, money he owed, but this grand jury is continuing to gather evidence in a wide-ranging examination of all those international business dealings, including with Burisma. I know this is a little dry, you guys, but stay with me on this. I'm almost done. Uh, So his failure to pay his taxes has been a focus of the ongoing Justice Department investigation. And all this has to do with, and the defense is usually the same. Oh, well, he's not... He's not a government employee, Hunter Biden. Leave him alone. I'm like, yeah, but his dad's fucking president of the United States. I noticed none of this stopped the resistance people from constantly going after Donald Trump Jr. He's not a government employee. Same shit with him. Um, But yeah, it's not clear whether this probe is focused solely on Biden or if he is among a group of individuals. So... The relevant paragraphs from the actual New York Times story, you got to go w- you got to go way down, dude. Here we go. It's like paragraph 25. Now I'm quoting from the New York Times story. Quote: Those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The emails and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. End quote. And so they finally did acknowledge that this fucking laptop exists. Like a lot of people were not uh, even convinced the laptop itself was didn't even really exist. So fun stuff. Now the fun part is going to be all the audio clips that I have to go on with this. Let us start with Joe Biden at the presidential debate with the orange man. And listen now Joe Biden talk because they asked him about his son working for well, Ukraine. I'll tell you what, I, uh, I hope he does look at me because what's happening here is you know who I am. You know who he is. Pointing to Trump. You know his character. You know my character. You know our reputations for honor and telling the truth. 
I am anxious to have this race. I am anxious to see this take place. I am the character of the country is on the ballot. Our character is on the ballot. Look at us closely. Yeah, Let you, me ask some follow-up. These dopes all fell for that. This stuff is true questions. about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq. If this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody's hey, President Trump, the laptop I want to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of me. race. We're talking about the, the issue. From hell. Let, him, let him talk. Shut up. We're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you've I have to respond to that. Please. Because, look, Very there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. <laughs> they have said that this is has all the care four five former heads of the CIA both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage yeah nobody believes it except the his and his good friend Rudy Gianni you mean the Who? laptop is now yeah. another Russia 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 hoax and you that's exactly be. what is this that's where you're exactly going? what this is going. where he's going the laptop yeah. right. is Russia yeah. Russia, Gentlemen, Russia I want to stay on the issue of race <laughs> okay nobody cares about race shut up oh is there more Russia. We're going to continue on the issue of race. Mr. President. Okay, that was enough of that. But, yeah, that's funny. Um, what else for the audio clips from that? Um, is this more or is this part of the same one? Oh, here's a super. Let's hear this. Is this more? Is this more? of? Yes, yes. Sorry, guys. I'm working on the fly here. I'm trying to see if this uh, video I have was what I wanted. Okay, it's not. So I wanted the super cut. That's what I wanted. Here is a supercut, about a minute long, of Joe Biden insisting that not one single small piece of evidence against Hunter Biden and his wrongdoing Every exists. Every single solitary, serious investigator, including your network and others, have looked at this, have said there's absolutely zero basis to the accusation that I acted any way inappropriately or that my son did. Every major national, international, and local News operations looked into it, has said it's a lie. This is the president's flat lying. So there's not been a scintilla of evidence pointed out that anything is wrong. There's not a single solitary scintilla of evidence. That's anywhere. not me. There's not been one scintilla of evidence that my son ever interfered, that I ever asked me anything, that I ever got involved in anything. I mean, come on. This is... So <laughs> These so, guys are amazing. So you think that everything that happened was kosher? You know there's not one single bit of evidence, not one little tiny bit, to suggest anything done was wrong. All right. Uh, talking about his son and his Ukraine, dealings with the Ukrainian energy company. And remember, Hunter Biden spoke no Ukrainian, had nothing to do with Ukraine, and didn't know anything about energy. And yet somehow is making $50,000 a month. Nice fucking gig if you can get it. And then, of course, uh, I have a second supercut, and this is the media reaction. When Hunter, everybody was accusing Hunter Biden of corruption and per possibly involving his father, the media quickly sprang into defense. No evidence that Hunter Biden has done anything wrong. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing between uh, uh, by Biden, by Joe Biden, or by Hunter Biden. There's no evidence that Joe Biden actually did anything wrong or did anything to sway things in Hunter Biden's favor. He's denied that his son ever lobbied him for anything. Uh, there is nothing, Hunter, there is nothing wrong that Vice President Biden did. President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. There is no evidence that anybody did anything illegal 
regarding the Bidens uh, and, and Ukraine, and, and Joe Biden was carrying out U.S. policy. President Trump wanted dirt on Joe and Hunter Biden. Trump's claims about wrongdoing here are unsubstantiated. We have looked. Lots of out outlets have looked. Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. Vice President Biden uh, did nothing wrong. And every single media outlet has said that there are no, there's no there there to these allegations, lies, and smears. PolitiFact found no evidence to support the idea that Joe Biden advocated with his son's interests in mind. It's true that there's no evidence of any wrong. Okay, I'll just stop it there. Well, we'll see about that. These emails that now exist, we know for a fact, and are not Russian disinformation. Will tell us that. Oh, just quickly, last last audio clip on this. Uh, Jen Psaki, the bumbler, uh, spokesman, press secretary, she called them Russian and The president has said, and you have tweeted, that allegations of wrongdoing based on files pulled from Hunter Biden's laptop are Russian disinformation. There is a new book by a political reporter that finds some of the files on there are genuine. Is the White House still going with Russian disinformation? I think it's broadly known and widely known, Peter, that there was a broad range of Russian disinformation back in 2020. Okay. So he does, she doesn't really see how she kind of see how she kind of dodges that question. Well, we know there was a broad range. Well, then Peter Ducey, I, that was him. I recognize the voice. He's just like, okay, I, yeah, we know there was a broad range. Is this part? Is this in that broad range or not? But there's your Hunter Biden story. And yes, you know, that's the thing, you guys. You cannot freaking believe anything you're being told because we don't have a real media anymore. We have partisans. And that goes on both sides. The problem is all the huge outlets, it's overwhelmingly left-wing activists, and they masquerade as journalists, and they cover the news they really want to cover, and they'll beat that into the ground. And the stuff they don't want to cover, they either omit completely, or as I've said previously, write an article about it just because they kind of have to and then quickly move on. And that's the media we have now. So just got to accept it. Build your own media, apparently. All right. Well, we'll go from Hunter Biden to Ron Jeremy. Yes, the adult film star. Boy, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. He he looks like he died about 15 years ago. But yes, it is Ron Jeremy. He is still alive. He's the former adult film star accused of multiple sex crimes. And now they have an update in it. His sex crime case has been put on hold for a mental health evaluation. Yeah, he was, he was too incoherent to participate in a key hearing on Thursday, so the judge suspended the case until he could get a mental health evaluation. Ron Jeremy is 69 years old. Jeremy's lawyer, Stuart Goldfarb, said that his client did not recognize him and appeared confused when he tried to talk to him in his holding cell before the hearing. He told the judge he had doubts about Jeremy's mental competency. I wonder who's paying for all this. Yeah, so now Ron Jeremy, who again looks like the fucking crypt keeper at this point, uh, is going to undergo a mental health evaluation. You know, it's funny, well... Even up to a few years ago, Ron Jeremy was still fucking like uh, porn stars like that were like 19, 20 years old. Can you imagine how fucking desperate you'd have to be for drugs and money to let that thing inside you as like a 20-year-old porno chick? So gross, dude. Uh, all right. Let's see here. This one's fun. Let's go to Oswego, New York. Short story, but still funny. Oswego City Police have arrested a man after they say he pleasured himself during a live individual video 
tutoring session with a child. This is 69-year-old Jeff Wallace, and he was working for the Oswego City School District at the time of the incident. He was arrested because it must have been pretty obvious. Like, I, I can't get the urge. Like, dude, you know you're going to get caught. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe he hates himself. Maybe he doesn't care if he's going to get caught. Yeah, but yes, he was picked up by the police like right away. So apparently he totally did that shit. Uh, let's go to some more military stories. Uh, this is a great headline from Stripes, starsandstripes.com. Quote, sailor on crack bender used dumbbell to kill Virginia Beach man, court records say. And you have to go Google Jason Jablonski of Virginia Beach and look at his mugshot with his female companion named Heather Toddy, who's got a tattoo on the front of her neck and just looks fucking bad. Yeah, he, Jablonski, and apparently his accomplice, Heather Toddy, are both being charged in connection with the death of 45-year-old Herbert Bryant. Uh, he has been with the Navy for 12 years as Jablonski. Toddy, it does not say, was in the Navy at all. I'm guessing she's not due to the neck tattoo. So a bail determination sheet in court said Jablonski was on a crack bender and got into a fight with Bryant inside a residence. I'm just guessing probably over crack. During the fight, the court documents say he hit Bryant in the face with a dumbbell and then pushed it down on his neck until he stopped moving. So Toddy was there when it happened. Afterwards, she helped Jablonski drag the body outside. Jablonski then fled to a hotel. Toddy attempted to clean up the residence afterward and gathered Bryant's things with the authorities later found in a dumpster. Fucking idiot. Yeah, but go look at uh, old Heather Toddy's mugshot. Oof. Not good. Another military story. U.S. Navy sailor, 26 years old, shot and killed fellow seaman he caught having sex with his wife after he walked in on them at the couple's Virginia Beach home. That was 26-year-old Tyler Lamar Jenkins. He's been charged with second-degree murder after shooting Timothy Paul Talley III, who is 28 years old, in Virginia Beach on Friday night. Dude, he walked right in on him. Tally was found in bed with Jenkins' wife and was shot. Jenkins admitted to shooting Tally three times during the incident. Oh, yeah. she Dude, so they interviewed his wife. Not only did they catch him in bed, they fuck, he caught him balls deep, dude. Yeah, his wife, who has not been named, told police that she feared for her life when Jenkins came into the bedroom where she was, quote, engaged in a sexual act, end quote, with her lover. Uh, her lover was an aviation machinist's mate. Um, it's not saying what old Tyler did here. But yeah, that's not good, dude. Jenkins is said to have asked police as they led him away. Quote, what am I doing wrong? End quote. Explaining right to them, hey, somebody's been having sex with my wife in my house. And he admitted to the shooting with police finding the gun he used. It's unclear if the men knew each other or not. Jenkins had been serving in the Navy since 2014. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, guys? Not guilty? I could see how that would make you fucking... It, think about your wife, your house, your bed. What would you do? Walk in? 
and your wife's got some dude's cock in her mouth, what would you do? And you have a gun on you. Just saying, it'd be tough. Meanwhile, our third, well, not exactly military, but military adjacent story. I talked about this a few weeks ago, but now I have a good article about it because she's being prosecuted. And this is the fucking chick who faked being the Marine. And she's the, she's a current VA worker at the time, 31 years old. This is Sarah Jane Cavanaugh. And she was a U.S. social worker. Uh, at, at, at the uh, Veterans Affairs uh, Hospital. And she used that access to get a hold of a Marine's, a real Marine's records. And she allegedly then used that information to forge discharge documents for herself, which she then sent to a different organization. Wow, good one, dude. Yep. She then fucking got all these benefits, which she used to pay for home repairs, groceries, and all kinds of other shit. She claims she served in the U.S. Marine Corps from 2009 to 2016, achieving the rank of corporal before she was wounded in action in Iraq and Afghanistan and was honorably discharged. She also claims she received a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star for Valor and was being treated for stage 4 lung cancer from her exposure to burn pits in the Middle East, not to mention in inhaling particulate matter after an improv improvised explosive device went off. So in total, U.S. Attorney Zachary Kuna alleges Kavanaugh collected two hundred and forty-one thousand dollars, four hundred. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I've had a rough fucking day. Two hundred forty-one thousand four hundred seventy-one dollars from veterans organizations and concerned individuals before federal officials caught on to her scheme. Did she embellish her record? No. Because she didn't have a record at all. There are no records, according to the U.S. military, that she ever even served in the U.S. military. She could face up to 25 years in prison. And she also made a big deal being part of her VFW lodge, Veterans of Foreign Wars, you know, wearing a pin, being like in charge of one of the VFWs. All kinds of shit. Now, remember that Stolen Valor Act that was passed some years ago. It's not a crime to just lie about your service, but once you lie about your crime and you obtain monetary fucking compensation from it, that is a crime. And she, she actually bought a United States Marine Corps uniform and she bought a Purple Heart and she bought a Bronze Star online. <laughs> what a fucking nut, dude. She contacted an organization called Code of Support. She got $18,472 from them. Uh, she she got $4,766 from a GoFundMe and claiming to be a Purple Heart and Bronze Star recipient, she collected about $16,000 from something called Creative Vets, a charity that provides therapy for veterans through art programs. Damn, dude. And she collected a total of $207,000 from the Wounded Warrior organization to pay for groceries and physical therapies. Um, sessions. Oh yeah, here we go. She was also she was elected to serve as the commander of the Veterans of Foreign Wars Post 152 in North Kingstown, Rhode Island, and she appeared at many events wearing her fucking fake Marine Corps outfit. So nobody spotted anything on the Marine Corps uniform at all. Well, usually they don't do that much research into the uniform and the decorations and medals and stuff. I don't. There wasn't one guy who saw anything just. Off, or did she really do her research that well? 
And you'd have to be like a total psychopath for this shit. Oh, yeah. How did she get caught? Well, officials at Hunter 7. I know Hunter 7. I love Hunter 7. It's very They're very big on Instagram. Uh, Hunter 7 is a nonprofit that does work with veterans, especially in the burn pit stuff. And yes, officials at Hunter 7 became suspicious of Kavanaugh when they asked her for help, in part because another female Marine said she would have known about Kavanaugh if she had, in fact, served at the same time as her and earned a Purple Heart and Bronze Star. So, yep, and then they started looking into it, and uh, nothing fucking showed up. Wow, dude. They actually ran the number she gave and found it belonged to Patrick Herney. He was really the guy who fucking got the Purple Heart and Bronze Star and all that. What a story, dude. That's fucking crazy. Um, all right. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's just play something fun. You guys know the uh, that truckers protest was going on, the people's convoy or whatever? It's been kind of a bust because mostly people are over COVID and so nobody cares. But there was a funny video going around on Twitter. So a small group of truckers went into Washington, D.C., and some guy who's wearing a mask outside, by the way, which really tells you what you need to know. And there's literally nobody else around him on the street other than the people he's screaming at. He starts screaming at him like he's a big resist guy. He doesn't want him in the city. So let's uh, listen to some of this. Oh, Here we go. Fuck yourself. Fuck you all. Fuck you all. We don't want you here in D.C. Keep coming around. Fuck around and find out. Do you feel like fuck you, you. you represent a group of fuck people you. who don't believe fuck in America? Flipping them all off. He'll come back in a minute. And they're going at it in front of a truck. Here we go. Yeah, go fuck I understand. Keep telling yourself you're yeah, going to start. We're doing it for everybody, for the children, for everybody. Why are you so upset with love? It seems like there's a lot of love here, but you don't like love. You're a bunch of fucking babies. You're racist pieces of shit. Oh, so much anger, man. You're about to get run over by traffic cars. We don't want to see that happen. Guess what? Keep coming back. We will. We will. coming. We don't want to see you get run over. I hope that you get some help and some happy. Because that's what America's about. There's like five guys with cameras surrounding them. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you too! Have a nice day, sir. I hope your day gets better. Go fuck yourself! I like America and I like freedom. I don't know. You're a fucking baby. You guys are fucking babies. You think we're asking you to fucking storm the beaches of Norm? You're a fucking man. You're a fucking man. You're a fucking man. You're a fucking man. You're a fucking idiot. Yes, I do understand what America is about. You don't fucking get to tell people what America is about. You think that's you're right. the that's people? No. You, no, you're a bunch and, of fucking fascist, racist assholes. Well. And you have to have freedom. That's not freedom. Freedom without responsibility is fucking childish right. bullshit. Very that's good. what you don't understand. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Say it louder. Fuck you too. Wow. Okay. I should point out that the man in question is a very paunchy, pudgy, bitch-titted fucking dude. And yeah, he keeps fucking with his mask and pulling him over his face. 
wow. I, I, I can't relate to these people, these dudes. I just fucking can't. Okay, what else? Uh, let's go to this one. Boy, did you see this fucking story? Nine people were killed in a head-on Texas crash. And that included this, the head coach and six members of the University of the Southwest men's and women's golf teams. Crash occurred Tuesday night near Midland, Texas, and only two people aboard the college team's van survived. They were returning home from a tournament in Midland, and the people who died, oh, they're, they're all like 19, 19, 22, 21, 18, 18. Really fucking sorry uh, situation there. Uh, and then the, the, the a wrinkle came out about that story because then they found out that the guy who hit them head on was a 13 year old kid. Yep. This young teen was still identified, but the daily mail got a hold of who it was. And then they actually found out that this kid's dad, I don't have the daily mail article in front of me, but this kid's dad has like some long record. So you kind of knew what the kid is doing. Like I said, 13 years old. And they say that the truck was driven by the child. The truck's left front tire, which was a spare tire, blew out before impact. So they probably, it probably blew out and caused him to veer into the other lane. So I wonder how they determine that. How can you find out that the tire blew out before the impact? Because I'm looking at a fucking picture of the leftover vehicles right now, and it looks just completely devastated. Yeah, the pickup truck then crossed in the opposite lane and collided head on with the van. It's not unusual for young teens to drive in that region, but somebody does have to be 14 in Texas to start taking classroom courses for a learner's license and 15 to receive the provisional license to drive with an instructor or a licensed adult in the vehicle. So they did come out and said, yes, a 13-year-old driving would be breaking the law. That's just a really tragic story. Uh, Speaking of tragic stories, here's another one. Who is, remember, you guys remember this name, Jose Inez Garcia Zarate. You guys remember him? Yep, that is, of course, the illegal alien who shot and killed Kate Steinle in 2015 on Pier 40 in San Francisco. God, that was way, that was like almost seven years ago, dude. Remember, he was acquitted, was Garcia Zarate in 2017 of various charges, including murder. But federal federal prosecutors did still charge him with, with illegally possessing a firearm. So he has finally pled guilty. So that kind of should end that case, and he will go serve time in prison. However long that will be, we're not sure. Remember, he claims he unwittingly picked up a gun wrapped in a T-shirt, and then he fucking negligently discharged it, struck Kate Steinle in the back and killed her, fucking died in her father's arms. Horrible. And remember, he had already been deported from the U.S. five times to Mexico and had just finished serving nearly four-year federal prison sentence for illegal rancher. Remember that? So that was the weird case. They almost did, like, I called it the illegal alien rescue mission because he was being held at, like, a prison in San Bernardino and they were going to turn him over to ICE, but then the San Francisco prosecutors like, oh, no, 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 we have a marijuana charge on him. So then they drove, no shit, they drove like seven hours to go pick him up from the prison, drove back to San Francisco, and then the judge was like, this is like a 25 bucks worth of marijuana, I'm dropping the case. And then he was allowed to go free. And then after that was when he was hanging out in San Francisco and he killed State Kate Steinle. Shitty. 
All right, let's do uh, this one. Let's <clears throat> let's get into our political roundup, you guys. I have a few good clips here. So they're having a a, a Senate election coming up in Ohio, and there's two. Senate candidates, Mike Gibbons, 69, and Josh Mandel, 44. And Gibbons is the rich guy. He's got a lot of money. Mandel has like $2 million bucks. So um, this was at a debate, and this is for the primary. They're both Republicans, right? And they both got into it after the younger candidate, Mandel, accused Gibbons of making millions of dollars off of Chinese petroleum. Now, the audio is not the greatest, but I'm going to play it anyway, because they basically stood up and got in each other's faces, which I really would love to see way more in uh, all debates, really. But uh, let's see what we can hear. No, you don't. I do. You've never been in the private sector in your life. All right, gentlemen. Watch. Since I was in Iraq, don't tell me I haven't worked. Don't tell me I haven't worked. You don't know squat. You don't know squat. Two tours in Iraq, don't tell me I've been worked. Off, buddy, you're gonna you back off. Never let him out. Sit down. Never. Watch. Watch. We squared away with him. Yeah, long dude. You're dealing with the wrong guy. You watch what happens. You watch what happens. Okay, is there anything good? Did you guys catch that? Don't tell me I don't do squat. I did two tours in Iraq. Uh, that's funny. Uh, that was great. Let's go to Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez. She decided to hop on Instagram and whisper about socialism and capitalism. I don't know. Let's listen to it. Most people don't really know what capitalism is. Most people don't even know what socialism is. But most people are not capitalists because they don't have capitalist money. They're not billionaires. Sometimes the label doesn't matter as much as just talking about policies. That's easier to understand. Do you think people should die because they can't afford insulin? Do you think that fossil fuel CEO should decide whether the planet gets set on fire? Me neither. Okay, there you go, whispering. I don't know where that I don't know why she was doing that. It's very strange. Um then I have what else in the audio clips? Uh let's listen to NBC News reporter asking Pelosi about COVID relief, and she gets very upset about that. Let's hear this. Do you, I just want to dig into that a little bit more on the COVID relief. This will be your third time. My third pet time, what, ask about COVID relief? Yeah. Well, it's, it's substantive. You like substantive questions, so I just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah, well, people are dying in Ukraine and all of that, yeah. People are dying from COVID, too. Um, the... Okay, so I don't know if you caught that, but she's like, yeah, well, ask, well, people are dying in Ukraine. And she called it the Ukraine, by the way, idiot that she is. And he's like, uh, people are dying in fucking COVID, too, still. Uh, and here's a little clip of Nancy Pelosi just rambling and muttering. Know and that we can't go there. Uh, they, it, Putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we go in, and that's the beginning, could be the beginning of World War Three. Uh, Putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Convention. Putin, who uh, threatens use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear, and the rest. So they know that we can't, but it's the ask. Now, he was uh, this morning more, let's, if we can't have an, if we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in. Okay, Hey, she's being asked a question here. This morning he was less on the 
on the ask for the um, uh, that policy, more uh -huh. on let us do it, help us get the planes. But also, there is a school of thought. Okay, yeah, I can't, I can't know. What is she fucking talking about? I made the joke earlier this week that if you watch Nancy Pelosi talk without the sound on, it looks like she's casting spells. This thing she does with her hand, she lifts up her hand and she's like waving her hand all over the place. It's very bizarre. Um, here's Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey. And here he is saying how, guys, if we have more oil and gas, that won't put us on the path to energy independence. Isn't there oil soaked cronies at the American Petroleum Institute? The American Prevarication Institute want to feed the American people one of the biggest lies of all. And that drilling for more oil and more gas is the path to energy independence. Republicans say that they have an all of the above plan, but it's really an oil above all. Plan. Oh, good the one. GOP always. Okay, let me just shut him up here. Yeah, guys, we got. Yeah, we can't. No, where if we shut off oil and gas tomorrow, that would be the end of the country. They don't fucking get that. They just think we'll flip a switch and go right to green. So stupid. As a matter of fact, here's a stupid Pete Boot Edge Edge talking about the solution to high gas prices. He actually uses public transportation. Can we we mentioned gas prices briefly, and they continue to soar across this country. Uh, you know. Can the public transportation system, as it's situated today, can it handle a potential influx of people that just can't afford to drive to work anymore? Talk to us about some of the investments you have started to make in infrastructure here uh, from the public transport side. Well, we do have a lot of capacity in public transit, uh, and that's something that uh, nobody know, rides I, I hope it. becomes a, uh, a means of choice uh, alongside driving, that people have good options and good affordable options to get to where they need to be. Uh, look, we, we need to make sure that there is less pressure on family budgets from transportation, which is often the second biggest budget item after housing itself. One of the tools that, that, that we have in our toolkit to do that is to make sure there's access to excellent public transportation. Okay, the public transportation's no good, dude. Outside of very dense cities, it's no good. And it doesn't run 24 hours a day, which is... If it doesn't run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that's a non-starter, in my opinion. You can't have fucking... Even in big cities now, like D.C., what, is, what time does the metro close in D.C.? Like, you know, 1.30 or something like that? Like, the bars are still open and the metro's closed. How does that make any fucking sense at all? It doesn't. Um, and then finally, oh wait, I got one more. This one is funny and random. You guys remember Ted Wheeler? That's the uh, fucking hapless mayor of Portland who let Antifa run rampant over his city for like a year and a half. Well, he, uh, he had a public meeting and some troll, it was over Zoom, some troll decides to hire an actor to play a Taliban member, claiming he's a Taliban member, Mohammed the Taliban member, and Mohammed the Taliban member in this meeting is going to thank Ted Wheeler for allowing militants a safe spot in Portland. Let's uh, listen how this goes. Starting here. Thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate it. Next up is item 181. Next individual, please. Request um, Mohammed Atahaya to address council regarding sanctuary city for refugees. Good morning, Mohammed. Hello, Mayor Ted Wheeler. I want to say 
on behalf of Taliban that you are the best mayor in the United States of America. In other cities, law enforcement makes it tough for us to operate, but luckily in Portland, the mayor actually supports the right of Taliban. Our experience in cities like New York and Los Angeles have been rife with law enforcement and governmental issues. But in Portland, we are able to distribute our poppy to the people of Portland. Currently, the number one place in America that we export all of our Afghani poppy is to Portland. As Taliban member, I promise to give the citizens of Portland the cleanest heroin known to men. We understand that Pfizer has the vaccine taken care of. So thank you, Mayor Wheeler, for letting the Taliban seller copy to your people without getting in trouble. To all my other comrades that are watching this, remember Andy No is the worst person ever. And Portland is the only place where racism is no longer exists. You are able to sell your poppy or smoke your methamphetamine or park your broken down car on the streets of our month at time without any interference. Yeah, can we move to the next person? I don't think we need to hit sit here and listen to a racial parody. Um, this is deeply offensive and you should be ashamed. This is absolutely racist behavior on your part. Shame on you. Next individual, please. Item number 182. Uh, that's great. Oh, Ted, boy, Ted got very upset at that. Uh, if you couldn't hear him, it was kind of because of Zoom. He was like, this is where we can sell our poppy. He's talking about heroin. So, oh, God, that was great. Okay, guys, some core quick headlines. Uh, let's do um, let's do a couple of these stories. A Honduras judge has approved the extradition of their ex-president of the United States. Remember this story from a ways back? That's former President Juan Orlando Hernandez. He's facing drug trafficking and weapons charges here. So now a Honduran judge has ruled that, yes, he should be extradited to the U.S. The Honduran authorities detained Hernandez in February. He is expected to appeal the extradition conspiracy, but he's being accused of participating in a violent drug trafficking conspiracy. And... That conspiracy since 2004 has transported 500 tons of cocaine from Venezuela and Colombia to the U.S. via Honduras. This is the former president. And his brother, by the way, Juan Antonio Hernandez, is already serving a life sentence in the United States for cocaine trafficking. He's still denying any ties to drug traffickers. <laughs> okay. Uh, powerful quake off the coast of Japan. Yeah, that happened last week. The quake hit uh, Wednesday night, 11.36 p.m. local time. And uh, they were scared because it was kind of in the Fukushima region. Remember the tsunami set off the, one of the worst nuclear plant disasters in history. A quake there did shake buildings for two minutes late Wednesday night. Uh, Do they have a measurement? The earthquake measured magnitude 7.4. So that's uh, pretty powerful. Uh, back to Latin America, Guatemala. Remember we talked about that anti-abortion law? I think it was a week or a week ago. Well, they've done an about face on it. <laughs> Guatemala's Congress shelved a bill that would have imposed up to 10 years of jail time for women who obtained abortions. An abrupt reversal that followed days of protests, legal challenges, and everything else. 
And that, that, that bill, by the way, also banned same-sex marriage. The U.S. government had some conversations with them as well, which was probably the real reason why they decided to shelve it, not these stupid activists in the street. The country's president, Alejandro Giamete, said now he will veto the bill days after his allies pushed it through the legislature. Because remember, on March 9th, the day after that bill passed, he, the president, had attended a ceremony calling Guatemala the, quote, pro-life capital, end quote, of Latin America. But now he quickly distanced himself from the bill. And obviously, yes, he had he got a little talking to. Uh, very quickly, you know, I realized that last week was the first time in two years I did not do a COVID update because that's how much it's boring to me now. But I figured I might as well get back to it because there might be some other stuff going on coming up probably. But anyway, quickly cases down minus 37% in the 14 day change for a total reported case count of 79,604,510. The 14-day changes deaths is minus 25%. That's 960,706 total deaths in the U.S. Coronavirus hospitalizations have fallen more than 80% from their January peak. and uh, But we still have deaths. Again, take that all with a grain of salt. But they are counting 1,200 deaths most days. And a uh, quick live update scan here. Do we have any? Well, we have the big surge in China. That's going on. I think I told you about that. Jillian, Jillian in China banned its 24 million residents from leaving the province or traveling between cities because of the surging case numbers there. China is grappling with a sustained outbreak in two-thirds of their provinces. Before Saturday, the country had not reported a COVID-19 death since January of 2021. <laughs> Get out of here. That's fake. And then, by the way, the Los Angeles Unified School District has, that's the second largest school district in the United States, has finally lifted their indoor mask requirement for students and staff next week in an agreement with the teachers union. Fucking about time, dude. Oh, and now there's an Omicron subvariant if you need it. It's known as BA.2. The Omicron version from the last few months was BA.1. And uh, you know what? I think uh, that's really all I care about that. All right. There was one funny moment because Joe Biden was talking. He was trying to um, say that Vice President Kamala Harris's husband, the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, tested positive for COVID, but he completely botched it. Let's listen to this. That's enough, too. Look at the stage. But there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of the first lady's husband uh, contracting COVID. But uh, look at this room and what you see. Pardon? That's right. She's fine. It's me. That's not together. The second lady, the first gentleman. Nope. How about that? No, so he, he, he fucked it up twice. First he said the... What did he say? He says, first he said the first lady's husband. That would be him. He's the president. Okay, so... And then he said the first gentleman. No, Doug Emhoff is the second gentleman. So... And there is... I don't know, how, how would you even have a first gentleman? You'd have to... 
you would have to have a gay man. Yes, you would have to have a gay couple. And then you'd have the president and the first gentleman. That's how that would work. Currently, there has never been a first gentleman. So, good old Joe. Everybody just laughs as he slides down into dementia. Uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Let's uh, go to this one. You guys all saw this, and this is all over social media. But yes, swimmer Leah Thomas has become the NCAA's first transgender Division I champion in any sport. And remember, Thomas used to compete on the Penn men's team before transitioning and competing as a woman for the first time this season. And this has caused a huge fucking shitstorm. You saw the picture that went viral of Thomas standing off to the left and like then the three girls who won second, third, and fourth place all hugging to the right. And they're like, Thomas towers over them by like a fucking foot. And, you know, 16 of Thomas's Penn teammates sent a letter in February uh, urging Penn and the Ivy League to reconsider Thomas's eligibility. This, uh, this was a big deal at this swim meet. There was a bunch of people protesting all this shit. And one of them was interviewed. Parents of a female swimmer decided to talk to Fox News about it. Let's hear what they had to say. We um, are parents of a female swimmer uh, swimming this weekend at the NCAA championships in the 100, 200, and 50 free. Um, we do not support a biological male swimming in the women's championship meet against females. It is an unfair advantage. I think even more so, they asked the question how he felt about winning when really how do the rest of the, the the women feel about having the stress of dealing with this you know knowing they have to swim against them so a girl that got nine doesn't get eighth a girl that gets 17th doesn't make all american 16th a girl that got 39th potentially if they took 38 girls in ncas she didn't get to come to the ncas because a biological male took their spot okay yeah yeah, they're not happy with it at all. Uh, what else? A man. Oh, let's go. Yeah, let's go um, back to. Do I want to go back to the UK? No, let me go to the border. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the border. Got a couple things. The Biden administration is fighting against. Uh, actually, they are fighting to uphold some Trump era immigration policies. Yes, government lawyers urged the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia to let Biden enforce a restriction um, first imposed by Mr. Trump that allowed migrants to be quickly turned away at the border. So one of the judges was confused because the same lawyers had argued weeks earlier that enforcing a different Trump-era border rule would not, quote, align with the administration's, end quote, values. Now they were essentially saying the opposite this is this is the one to uphold title 40 true the title 42 that's the public health rule that would allow the u.s to turn away migrants without providing them opportunities to ask for asylum and this has just been an ongoing one but another one that they did reverse yesterday sneakily on a friday afternoon they reversed the expedited removal whereby some illegal immigrants could be rapidly deported without an appearance before a judge. This 
ruling that Trump put in was on July 23rd, 2019. It targeted immigrants across the nation who could not prove they had been in the U.S. continuously for two years or more. Prior to the rule's expansion, the 2004 expedited removal policy only applied to a 100-mile zone from the border to those who had arrived by sea or to those who had been in the U.S. 14 days or fewer. So the Department of Homeland Security has reversed that um, and decided to get rid of it. Now, the expanded removal authority was rarely used while it was in effect because ICE doesn't have the manpower to do any of that shit. But it's just another long line. And they got a hold, the Washington Times got a hold of secret ICE data that showed drop in arrests of criminals and surges in arrests of non-criminals. So ICE's deportation division arrested 48% fewer convicted criminals, deported 63% fewer criminals, and issued 46% fewer detainer requests to other law enforcement agencies last year. But... Strangely, arrests of illegal immigrants with no criminal records soared 170%. So they have no idea what they're doing. And by the way, the border is still fucking wide open. They have apprehended 165,000 illegal immigrants in February. That is up 60% from the previous year, from February 2021. And it just keeps flowing in. It's just non-fucking-stop. talking millions of people. And there's no end to it. Now, one kind of funny story about deportation. You remember the fake heiress story that Anna Delvey? Yeah, she was the one who basically conned a bunch of people out of money. She's originally from Germany, and she went to like prison. I talked about it at the time. This is like a fucking couple of years ago. Yeah, she's also known as Anna Delvey, but she was an interview with the podcast call her daddy like they asked her if she like has a fake accent and all some other stuff but here's the fun part she was supposed to be deported out of new york yesterday but she never fucking left yep she never made it to the airport much less boarded the flight what the f how's there yeah she was being she was supposed to fucking go to germany as a matter of fact, a rush of European porters flocked to Frankfurt Airport to await her arrival. But whether it was a mix-up by the jail or her attorneys or whatever, she is still, in fact, in the United States. Originally, they had announced that she had some kind of fit at the airport, and it prevented her from getting on the plane. But it's really unclear if that's uh, true. Now, just to recap, she made headlines around the world after pretending she was a super rich heiress called Anna Delvey with a $60 million trust fund to gain access to her wealthy targets. She was convicted of fraud in 2019, and she has been depicted in the Netflix series Inventing Anna, starring Julia Garner. After serving nearly four years of her sentence between four and 12 years, she was released from jail in February of 2021. But yeah, she was supposed to be deported, and so far she hasn't been. So get rid of this fucking clown, dude. All right. Wisconsin dentist faces decades in prison for breaking his patient's teeth by drilling holes in them so that he could charge for fixing the damage and pocket millions from the procedures. Good one. 61-year-old Scott Charmley has been convicted of five counts of health care fraud. 
Yeah, he would drill pa- he would drill holes in patients' teeth so he could add a crown. He billed more than four point two million dollars for crowns between twenty sixteen and twenty nineteen, and had assets worth six point eight million dollars by end of twenty twenty. Uh, he placed ninety five percent more crowns than the average Wisconsin doctor, which probably helped tip people off. Um, see here. Jussie Smollett has been released from jail after serving just six days of his five-month sentence for lying to the cops. That's right. They made up a bunch of bullshit. It worked. Uh, and, um, he cried and his lawyers cried, so they let him out of jail. So, fuck that guy. I never, really never want to talk to him again. A three-year-old boy accidentally killed his mom after picking up a gun and shooting her in the neck as he played with it while they sat in a car outside a food for less police to charge the father with unlawful use of weapon. The father was in a driver's seat, the mother was in a passenger seat, and the son was sitting behind them in a car in the backseat of the vehicle, and he got a hold of a gun. Hit Dajah Bennett, 22, in the neck. She was pronounced dead at a hospital. <laughs> You're going to learn sometime. They're going to learn. Uh, this is amusing. Remember how Tom Brady was supposed to retire after this season? Boy, talk about good timing for this guy. An NFL fan actually sold the last touchdown he threw at an auction for $518,000. Well, only a few year a few hours after that, he announces he's as he is going to come back with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Dude, you're fucking like that would, that ball would have been like worth 100 bucks maybe. But this dude fucking lucked out with the half half million dollars. I thought it would actually go for more. Let's talk about Marilyn Manson really quick. Remember him, the singer, and that fucking whole sexual Me Too thing he's going through? 34-year-old Evan Rachel Wood claims ex her ex, Marilyn Manson, tied her up, shocked her genitals with a sex toy, made her drink his blood, and beat her with a Nazi whip from the Holocaust after she tried to leave him. She made these allegations in the new documentary called Phoenix Rising. Yeah. Something he used, the sex toy is called a violent wand. He would electronically shock her and her genitals, which was so painful she br- jerked and broke the thing that she ma- he made her kneel on. <laughs> Manson has denied all of this, by the way. So this is going to court. This should be a good one. A Black Lives Matter activist named Bostonian of the Year whose nonprofit raised $1 million is charged with spending much of it on back rent, $1,200 hotel stays, and meals at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. She has been arrested at her New Jersey home. This, oh, and just for good measure, this was Monica Cannon Grant, 41, and her husband Clark Grant. They also fraudulently applied for federal pandemic unemployment assistance. And lying about their mortgage. They were both charged in an 18-count indictment with wire fraud, conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. And all you fucking dopes gave these people money. I swear. Such pushovers, dude. Her nonprofit was called Violence in Boston. And they got like a million bucks during the whole fucking George Floyd thing from the umbrella group Black Lives Matter. So must be good to be an activist, man. A suspect in the shootings of five homeless men was arrested in Washington. And the 30-year-old man, identified as Gerald Brevard III, was arrested at 2.30 a.m. in 
Southeast D.C. He's has a history of mental illness and assault charges. This was the uh, shootings that you guys probably saw. The shooting spree began on the streets in Washington, and the uh, they then revealed that he himself had been homeless off and on. Just really shocking. You guys probably saw some of the uh, circuit footage going on around the intranets. Um, this one is crazy. When you guys sent this to me, drowning man was shot fatally by the same boater who rescued him. Nathan Drew Morgan, 29, and an unnamed woman were thrown off their jet ski at Lake Kiawe in South Carolina. They think they were arguing before the incident, so a man and woman on a pontoon boat nearby observed him struggling in the water. Neither individual wore life jackets. So the couple on the boat approached Morgan and the woman, and the two got on board as the unmanned jet ski continued to circle the lake. I guess they didn't have one of those little wrist things on that kills the engine. After boarding the boat, Morgan allegedly became agitated and began assaulting the couple that rescued him. Well, South Carolina does have a stand-your-ground law. Uh, so they think that the man may have wanted to get back to the jet ski. The female who was on the jet ski attempted to de-escalate the assault by pushing the man who had been on the jet ski back in the water. Hmm. Didn't didn't they just say, didn't the Newsweek just write that the two got on board? Doesn't really make any... uh, This is bad writing. Well, anyway, regardless of that, the couple on the pontoon then helped Morgan get back on the boat for a second time. He began assaulting the couple again, and then the man shot him right in the chest, and he died. (laughs) Well, what a nice day on the lake. All right. Starting to run out of time here. Almost done, you guys. Just a few more. Let's um, let's do one of these. I don't know what it is with all the teachers that want like want to groom students and shit like that, or use pronouns. I just just fucking can't. They just teach math and reading and computer science and electrical engineering and all this stuff. I just don't get it. Why are they so anxious for this? Here's a fourth grade California teacher filming herself coming out as trans. Let's hear this. Kids coming out as trans. It's a teacher that's kind of not a guy and not a girl, like somewhere in between. Oh, so you're kind of a boy and you're kind of a girl? Kind of, yeah. Okay, right on. I want to be a boy, but I don't like being a girl. You know what? You know, you have choices in this world to be all sorts of different things. But that's why it's MX, so... Mix Chavez, that's where that comes from. I know some of you were a little confused. Some of you came and talked to me about it. What? Asking if it's that's a tomboy, which you just described. Some people do identify that way. I'm actually trans, so I'm not a tomboy. I'm, I'm trans. But some people do, and I'm sure if they wanted to, they could also go by mix. Okay, great. So they're talking about mix and trans and fucking this is what they're doing instead of learning how to read. And here's another one. Here's another teacher. My favorite anxiety of the day today is that I'm going to have to deal with coming out to my students. You don't have to. I know most of them are just going to assume it already, but for the few that don't, That'll be a fun conversation. Why? If it then? comes to that. Yeah. Why do they fucking, and they go on TikTok and they fucking make these videos, there's the narcissism. Like, dude, you're, yeah, they all know you're gay probably. I, I can tell by your voice you're gay. So fucking what? Teach them how to read. Teach them how to do math. 
All right, just a few last headlines. Uh, Don Young, the longest-serving U.S. congressman, has died. 88 years old, and he died midair. I didn't see that until this morning. Yeah, he was flying from L.A. to Seattle. He lost consciousness. He could not be resuscitated. That's the way to go, man. So he was obviously fine, got through security, was able to do all that, no problem, and then he just gets on the plane, and then he just dies. So no suffering. No anything. He was first elected to Congress in 1973 and was its longest serving current member. And he's very much, I know in, in uh, Alaska, he's like a huge deal. Uh, South Carolina is ready for death by firing squad after shortage of lethal injection drugs have left 37 on death row waiting execution. Okay, good. Hurry up. Get on it. The last such firing squad execution took place in Utah in 2010. So this will be exciting. Inmates Brad Sigmon and Freddie Owens are expected to be the first to give them the choice between death by electrocution, or they're bringing back the electric chair, or firing squad. All right. Well, they should sell that on pay-per-view. Let the families get all the money from it. And uh, sadly... Two Missouri police officers have died after being shot by a career criminal during a confrontation at a mall. The Joplin Police Department has confirmed that Officer Jake Reed, 27 years old, and Corporal Benjamin Cooper, 46-year-old, were fatally shot when they confronted 40-year-old Anthony Felix at a shopping area. Felix then fled in a stolen patrol car which he eventually crashed after he shot them. He thought shot a third officer before being killed in a firefight. That third officer does remain in critical condition. Oh, man. Yeah. Really sad. Um, let's see. FBI informant. FBI, a postal worker turned FBI informant known as Big Dan, who tipped feds off to Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot has told the trial that he joined the militia to maintain his gun skills, but quickly became disillusioned. He's an Army veteran, by the way. Yeah, there's that trials. You guys all remember that? When there were that, those dopes who said they were going to kidnap Whitmer and like half the group was in the FBI already and like another third of it was like uh, uh, FBI informants and there was like basically like two guys. Yeah, so he said after serving in Iraq, he just wanted to keep his firearm skills sharp. But things quickly turned sour when his fellow militiamen suggested killing police officers. And then Dan Chapel or Big Dan, told a police officer friend about that. And a week later, he was contacted by the FBI asking if he would stay inside the group and monitor the activity. That should be a great trial. And do I have time for... Any more audio clips? Uh, yeah, I got a good one here. Let's listen to, uh, you know, Kanye West got suspended by Twitter, part of the whole Pete Davidson spat. So Kim Kardashian goes on fucking um, Ellen DeGeneres, and she's going to reveal something. I want you to hear There's it. Let a me tattoo just hear that, that says Kim. Um, yeah, he has a few tattoos, a few cute ones, you know, that he got. Um, but this one is a, it's not, that one, the Kim one, isn't a tattoo. It's actually a branding, like a branding. Because, let me explain it, because he wanted to do something that was really different. Because, like, 
Okay, first tattoo we got, I was like, oh, so cute, thank you, oh my God. So, you know, second, whatever, I'm like, oh, that's so cute, but like, that's what tattoo people do, right? Like, they get tattoos of what's going on in their life, and... Wait, back so up, I was like, back up, I, back up. Special? You said first tattoo, so he has three tattoos of you? Just, well, it sounds know. like this is like That'd the third... <laughs> so the first tattoo was, you said, kind of cute. So... Yeah. Is it uh, your name or is it like a little... The branding is my name. Right. The yeah. other ones are like cutesy things. I think my favorite one, it says here, it says my girl is a lawyer. And that one's really cute. Okay, okay. What? I just thought because I'm, I, I'm, I agree with Ellen. These two people have been dating for like two months and he's got three tattoos and a brand and they all have to do with her. He's really psychotic. You know, he has like tattoos from a bunch of other exes too with their names all over him. Like, dude, you're fucking weird, dude. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm sure it's true love and it'll last forever. All right, let's go, guys. I got to go to it. We're out of time, regretfully. I have so much more, but alas, it has come that time. We have to go to the big finish, and so many of you sent this to me. I said, yes, I got it. I got it. Here we go. A woman's urinary tract infection was actually a glass tumbler lodged in her bladder for four years. All right. A 45-year-old woman had come to the hospital complaining of urinary tract infection symptoms, such as leakage. But doctors were left stunned when scans revealed there was a 3-inch wide glass, drinking glass, inside her bladder. And it was encased by a bladder stone, which are normally so hard to see. It was so hard, uh, so small, they are hard to see with the naked eye. So this bladder stone had grown around the glass. And they have pictures of the bladder stone cracked in half with the glass inside it. The woman is from Tunisia. And how did it get up there? Uh, you probably know and you probably figured it out. She did reveal that she had used the drinking glass as a sex toy a number of years ago. Eventually, she inserted it, perhaps by accident, into the urethra. Remember, the urethra is actually the hole which the urine comes out. That is not the vagina. So, how the how did they get? How did she get it in there? Well, she might have been practicing what's known as urethral sounding. Now, you guys have been listening to this for a while. You know what sounding is, right? Sounding is, of course, the act of fucking inserting an object into your, your urethra, men and women, to heighten sexual pleasure and arousal. That's what it involves in. So she possibly fucking... How do you, but how did she get it? It's three inches wide. How do you... I know a woman's pee hole isn't that wide. Um, yes, the report where it was published was the medical journal, Daily Mail, or New York Post, won't even put the name. The medical journal is called sciencedirect.com, so you can Google that if you want to read the original report. The journal did say that the motivations most frequently associated with the presence of foreign bodies within the bladder are of a sexual or erotic nature. And then, of course, the person gets embarrassed. They do not seek any health care. And then that's, that's it. Now, she, the woman reported that she had suffered uh, cystitis, inflation of the bladder, inflammation of the bladder several times, but it had never been investigated. She had no blood in her urine. 
nor was she suffering from any urinary incontinence. But she did have higher than normal red blood cells, indicating that the body is fighting some kind of infection. So the doctors see this enormous round object, and then because of the x-ray, you can see the glass inside the round bladder stone. They had to remove surgery, uh, and it sounds like she's going to be okay. Two days later, she was recovered and well enough to go home. So there you go, guys. Fucking stop. Stop the urethral sounding. And that's a great band name, by the way. Urethral sounding. Steal that for me. While you're stealing it from me, please go to patreon.com, you guys, and search for BK Actual. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider contributing to it. Even a small gesture, like a dollar a month, two dollars a month, to keep on top of the news and all this important stuff and get educated about things that nobody else is talking about or knows anything about. I'd really love to have you on as a patron. I've set a goal to have 600 patrons by the end of the year, and I think I'm sitting right now about 455. So I'd love to get you on. If you ever thought about it, please do so now. Follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, and you can DM me on Instagram at BK Actual. And guys, that's all I got for you. I'll see you next week. Save it up like Norman Colon. Release the stench of shit. Grub like a giant toilet kraken. The lonely life that is touring. I got an armful of decent tunes, mate. But it's all so fucking...